Hey folks, name is Brenton Lengel. Uh, I am a poet, playwright, uh, author, uh, Ringo nominated comic creator, author of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, uh, and most recently Darudi Shadow of the People, which was just successfully funded on Kickstarter, but you can still pre-order it, go check that out. Um, and Swole, do you wanna introduce yourself and then I'll go into my opening? Okay, uh, I'm not getting that from Swole, so I'm gonna go straight oh, no, into my I'm good, opening. I'm good. Sorry, good. sorry, guys, I was muted. Um, uh, I am a solitariat. I have a... Hold on one sec. Pardon my inner... <clears throat> it's just a little bit... There's a bit of static if you're able to... I think your mic might be giving off a little bit of feedback. Okay, I'll try this again. That's better. <laughs> I... I am the Swolitariat. I have a small YouTube channel, about 3,000 subscribers, um, where I do Marxist content. I am an Orthodox Marxist, aka Trotskyist, and um, I also have a, a fitness uh, channel as well. Great. So to, start, so to start off tonight, I think what I might do is acknowledge my esteemed opponents. I, I genuinely hope things have been going on well for JF with his fruit trees on his wilderness homestead, uh, which is no doubt a bit difficult to keep running, what with the weather and soil conditions, and oh yeah, the lack of an additional $25,000 from the late Jeffrey E. Epstein. Yes, that one, the one you're all thinking of. He's why JF has a career as a YouTube influencer. I'd like to acknowledge Mr. Molyneux, who it seems is here after being banned from nearly every mainstream social media company under the sun, from YouTube to PayPal to MailChimp. Uh, congrats on that last one, by the way. I'm sure that took some doing. And if anyone's wondering why, please feel free to consult the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League. But I'm compassionate. So in deference to those obstacles, might I offer you an egg in this trying time? Like, I know you're really, really into eggs, like, like unbelievably so. Uh, I can assure you they're fresh, laid by my chickens just the other day. And uh, don't worry, the chicken that laid them was white. I made sure I know that's like really important to you. And uh, by the way, you know, kidding aside, that's not a joke. I will send you the eggs. Just give me a P.O. box or something. But in the meantime, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Well, it's a debate where I will be discussing communism with a couple of intensely weird people on the internet. I wish I could say this was a rare occurrence, but apparently I hate myself and or love ulcers, so here we are. I anticipate a lively debate. I'm sure at some point, StephBot will get triggered and accuse me or my partner of wanting to literally murder him. And I expect we'll hear a number of accusations and atrocities thrown around with all the grace, poison, nuance of a confused bear rolling its way through a campsite. Why? Because conversations about communism scare the absolute bejesus out of, the, out of a very specific type of person exemplified by my two interlocutors. So what is communism and why is everyone in the West so frightened of it that they will often jump right into the arms of fascist dillweeds? Well, for the answer, we can look to two places, etymology and history. Communism is a society based upon the common ownership of property. That's where the com comes from. What is common ownership of property, you ask? Well, to answer that question, we must first define property, and that brings us to Roman law and one of the founders of political anarchism, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, who examined the concept in a series of essays titled What is Property? And what is property? According to Proudhon and every socialist who came after him, including Marx, property is defined as the ability to use, abuse, or destroy that which is owned for any reason or no reason. In short, property is a social relationship between a person and an object, between the owner and that which is owned, whose reality is rooted in law, human judgment, and social custom.
From this, Proudhon came to three conclusions. The first and most famous being property is theft, which is to say that objectively speaking, when human judgment and human custom are removed from the equation, there is zero material difference between justly acquiring property and stealing property. It may be counterintuitive, but to quote Shakespeare, nothing is good or ill, but thinking makes it so. And who has a title to what is a matter of opinion, precedent, and power, nothing more. Second, Proudhon observed that property is liberty, which is to say man's liberty, which is the ability to act uh, within and upon the world in accordance with one's desires, is tied directly to one's access to property. In other words, if I want to run a marathon, I must have food and shelter and medicine and somewhere to actually do it. If I am denied these things, I cannot. Therefore, my liberty is limited uh, or expanded by my material circumstances. Finally, Proudhon concluded that, that property is impossible, which is to say that this legal relationship is entirely imaginary. It exists as a mental tool, as a projection of human minds within human culture to aid our interaction with physical reality and each other. When we know who has a right to what and who does not, we are less likely to be in conflict, at least in theory. In actual material reality, property is the stuff of wars and murders and genocides, at least when it is improperly managed. Now, socialists break property down into four subtypes. Capitalists only recognize two, the first being public property and the second being private property. Why won't they think beyond this? Because they are afraid. They are afraid that if people think beyond the false dichotomy of government and non-government ownership, that we will descend into chaos and conflict. But let us not be cowardly and let's think a little further. Don't accept it. Just try it out. And so we come to two more types of property, namely personal and common. And hey, there it is again communism. Personal property is the property that an individual uses and possesses in actual reality. This is what Proudhon was referring to when he said property is freedom, because all of our ability to act and live and love comes from this relationship. It is our access to the means of existence. This is what society at its most positive exists for, to provide us with these things so that we may have liberty. And when we contribute back to society, our task is to provide for others with access to these things. This is the great human project. It is, in a word, emancipation. This is distinct in socialist philosophy from private property, which has a specialized definition in anti-capitalist critique. Private property from a socialist standpoint is theft, because private property is not access to the means of existence. Rather, it is property secured by the state, which is to say the military and the police on behalf of the elite, i.e. capitalists, as in those individuals who, through historical circumstances, owing to the bugs in our financial, political, and cultural systems, have come to own property which they neither use nor possess, but rather through force of arms are given the ability to use, abuse, or destroy that which is both used and possessed and often needed by others. Without the state, a man cannot own another's home. A man cannot control more property than he can physically possess and defend. Jeff Bezos cannot own Amazon against the wishes of those who work at Amazon without an army of police and soldiers to beat, jail, and kill those who disagree. Communists object to this relationship for obvious reasons. When we play this game, there are just a few winners and many, many losers. Those who find themselves in a position to command the state and, its, and direct its violence where they want it to go naturally use it to secure their own interests. So essentially, those at the height of power within society are a big club. And you and I, we, we are not in it. And the game of capitalism, the game of properties, is one they created for their own benefit, with rules they control. In other words, it's a rigged game designed to extract maximum labor and value from the bulk of society while paying back as little as possible in return. 
This is why you can have record profits in the richest nation on earth and, can, and you can send Jeff Bezos on a pleasure trip to space while simultaneously the majority of that same nation's population cannot handle an unforeseen $500 expense where millions of Americans teeter on the edge of eviction and one in six children do not know where their next meal is coming from. And so we come to the final type of property and the beating heart of communism, common property. What communism is and how it has been understood in practice since before Marx and Engels, likely since before recorded history, is an attempt to return to our ancestral way of life before the rise of the state, a way to regain the freedom that we had in the state of nature before war, before armies, before governments and private property, while simultaneously preserving the benefits of modern civilization. The product of communism is to move as much property as possible from the public and private spheres into the common spheres. It's literally in the name. And that is what, and what is common property? Well, you already know, you just never realized it. It's all around us. It's the air, it's language, it's knowledge, it's international waters, it's space. And before the state, it was also land. It is our inheritance, our real inheritance, our birthright, which has been stolen from us. Before kings and armies and rulers, common property dominated the globe and communists are simply those who would see its return. So to understand, you understand now where this fear comes from and why try as they might, I don't think our opponents can reckon with this idea because it shakes the very foundations of power and those at the heights of our society feel the tremors and know how precarious their position is. And for reactionaries who are existentially devoted to preserving this very specific and let's be honest, very stupid form of social hierarchy. This regiment of command and obedience, communism, for that communism is the stuff of nightmares. Because if you take away the power from the elites, what are they? I'll tell you what they are. They're us. And they never were anything else. And any pretensions towards the contrary is pure vanity. Which brings us to the failures of the Soviet Union and why everyone associates communism not with common property, but with one very specific, highly authoritarian failed attempt at reaching it. For the purposes of this debate, I will call it Stalinism. The fact is, the reason this model dominates in the minds of so many, despite actual reality and real material history, is because the two greatest empires the world has ever seen agreed that it should. The capitalist West agreed that the USSR should be considered the truest example of communism because they wanted to associate Stalin's brutality and totalitarianism with the idea and forever frighten their citizenry away from taking real power within their own society. And the communist East wanted the prestige of being the vessel by which the dream of communism could at last be achieved. But they were all of them deceived because communism is not government control. It is not totalitarianism. And ultimately, it is not statist. Communism is a stateless, classless, moneyless society in which the means of production, which is to say vital industry and resources, are commonly owned, like the air around us, and are operated by the workers who use them for the benefit not of a privileged few, but of everyone, where resources are distributed along the general principle of from each according to his ability to each according to his need. In short, it is a society that works for everyone. And in the 21st century, it is exactly what we need to avoid human extinction and encourage human flourishing. Thank you. Do we uh, do we wait for the mod? Do we go straight? Was, uh, oh, is it anarchy? Or are we modding? No, or no, no, I'm going so next. Maybe anarchism, I, not anarchy. I get to, yeah, it's anarchy <laughs> right here. Uh, all right, I'll go here. All right, so tonight we are debating communism. But since unlike our opponents, we are materialists, 
Uh, to really understand what communism is, we have to analyze it scientifically and by extension, dialectically. That is how and why it emerges out of the present society, which happens to be capitalism. But in doing so, for the purposes of this debate, we also have to consider the, the libertarian formulation of markets and, uh, and property. Uh, and that relates to, and how it relates to that, the material reality. For all the uh, right libertarian talk of non-aggression principles and voluntary contracts. Your mic is, uh, sold to player at, I'm sorry, but your mic is uh, giving that feedback again. It, it arises from a lack of capital investment, I think. True, true. Um, it's uh, still there. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm stuck with it. Well, it's pretty bad, and I'm usually I'm usually pretty easy going about mics. Is there any way in which you have a second mic where you might be able to click in Zoom to connect to that mic instead? I do not have. See, when fact, you speak slowly like this, mic. when you speak lower than a certain level, I think you're fine. Yeah, it so is. Just that... don't go too excited. I think you'll be good. Just yeah, pull in Elizabeth Holmes and okay. crank that voice down yeah. to Barry White levels. You'll be fine. All right, let's 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 try talking like this. Works okay. Um, That's hot. All right, for all the right libertarian talk of NAP and voluntary contract, the greatest irony is that the very markets and property relations they champion are themselves predicated on the most extreme forms of coercion, dispossession, and violence. Capitalism, which I'll define here as the era of generalized commodity production based on private property and the exploitation of wage labor could not exist but for the mass expropriation of common lands for private profit on a global scale. To quote Christopher Hitchens, the history of capitalism is the history of expropriation. Marx observing this process remarked on the tremendous advances in technology, technique and innovation that were thereby enabled. Brutal as it was, this process of dispossession and collectivization of Europe's peasantry into the cities and factories ultimately created the modern proletariat, a brand new class overtaking the bourgeoisie as history's most progressive force. But exploitation at home was actually not enough to fuel capitalist development. It needed to be paired with expropriation and imperialism abroad. The majority of the, of the world in the 19th century was not very amenable to capital. So the imperialist states set about opening the rest of the world at gunpoint. Colonizers tended to find it immensely difficult to get people to work in their mines and plantations. Echoing today, wages were not high enough to induce people to abandon their subsistence farming. So coercion was required to move peasants into the labor market, uh, imposing taxes and closing commons, constraining access to food, evictions, and often outright violence, you know, voluntary contracts. Some 55 million dead later in India, China, and Congo alone, markets suddenly and miraculously found themselves open. The Industrial Revolution uh, of, and success of Europe more broadly, therefore, had nothing to do with culture, values, or race, as my slippery opponents have argued before. Quite the opposite. It was achieved by the robbery of wealth and productivity of dozens of other countries. There has never been a more collectivist mode of production than capitalism. Its ability to conscript, expropriate, and dispossess are historically unmatched. 99% of human history bore witness to the same percentage of people 
living off the land in small disparate atomized farms, communes, and villages, only to have all that flipped on its head in two centuries. As Marx and Engels pointed out, this collectivization was an immense leap forward in the progression of human society because not only did it increase human freedom and productivity by orders of magnitude, but it crucially set the stage for the democratic takeover of society by the working class, thereby enabling the abolition of class and the state altogether. And uh, I think we all agree here that we want to get rid of the state. Communism is the classless, stateless, moneyless society. Uh, and it necessarily emerges out of its lower phase. Socialism, a state of material abundance, which in turn emerges out of the transitional phase of a worker state, which under the right conditions emerges out of the contradictions of capitalism itself. What Stalinists and right-wingers share in common is the belief that the USSR, China, Cuba, Vietnam, etc., are socialist societies. Thanks for stealing my point there, Brenton, by the way. Um, they are not and were not. These are worker states in varying degrees of deformation and degeneration, excluding China, which is now a simply capitalist state by any measure. The common retort from uh, rightists is to proudly declare the no true Scotsman fallacy, but it is not a logical fallacy because neither Marx nor Lenin ever believed that socialism could be achieved in backwards semi-feudal peasant societies like Russia, Cuba, or China. They said it openly. Marx explained that socialism could only be achieved in the most advanced industrial nations because that's where the productive forces were the most advanced. The Russian Revolution, the greatest event in human history, was a gamble. One meant to inspire workers in Germany, England, France, and America to follow suit. That gamble ultimately failed due to the murderous betrayal of the leadership of the German Social Democrats leaving the Bolsheviks isolated to defend the revolution from a civil war in 14 imperialist powers. They succeeded in, de in defeating their external enemies, but the revolutionary backbone of workers' councils, aka Soviets, were devastated by years of war, and uh, they were powerless to stop the rise of Stalin and the emerging, emerging bureaucracy he represented. Stalin went on to achieve many successes, but at the high cost of liberty, democracy, and millions of lives. The un, the un, what? The unprecedented economic and military success of the USSR ensured that every subsequent revolutions took a Stalinist character, highly bureaucratic, top-down, and illiberal. What I just described is a scientific and materialist analysis of society and how it changes through time. My opponents, on the other hand, are at a disadvantage. Trapped in, a mind, in the mind prison of philosophical idealism, they have no idea what to make of the state, why it exists, who it serves, and how to overcome it. Ironically, it is they who are the utopians in this debate. Almost as if to mock themselves, they simultaneously reject the state as coercive on the one hand, while defending the very economic system it was built to reproduce on the other. If human emancipation is the goal, and the abolition of private property and, and, uh, and commodity production are the necessary prerequisites. Personal property is not private property. Until all of us are free from these uh, forms of domination, no one is free. Commodities are objects produced for the purpose of exchange rather than use, thus enabling markets. Markets have existed for most of human history, and they are not inherently bad or good, but they do not exist in the abstract. 
in a system of generalized commodity production, unequal distribution of wealth and private property, the kind advocated by our opponents, the competition in irrational anarchy of markets necessarily pushes wages down, de-skills labor, and trends towards monopoly, state oppression, and imperialism. Of course, as we had, we've seen historically, uh, early capitalism did pass through a short phase of relatively free markets alongside incredible uh, worker exploitation. However, dialectics teaches us that society is never static and that it has a direction. The laws and contradictions of capitalist productions necessarily start evolve into monopolies and cartels, then mature into imperialism and finance capital, dripping with blood at every step of the way. But as capitalism continues to decay far beyond its best before date, and the class struggle intensifies, the capitalist, the cap, uh, the democratic control of the economy becomes the instinct of demand put forward by the ever increasing forces of the proletariat. Ultimately and transforming. We're Sorry? coming to that close for the opening statement. I'm like two, two sentences away. Ultimately transforming from a class uh, in itself to a class for itself and taking the reins of society once and for all. Only then can work be transformed from alienating misery to the creative expression of free individuals. Uh, I'll, I'll end there. You got it. Want to say thank you very much to our guests for being here, who, by the way, are linked in the description. And want to also let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And with that, we are going to kick it over to the anti-communism team. Stefan and JF, thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours. Thank you. Uh, what's our policy on swearing here? That's okay. Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, worst fucking communists I've ever seen in my life. And let me tell you why. So first of all, we start off with a guy saying, hey, I just crowdfunded my comic, raising enough capital so that I can make profits from my property going out there across the world. But by God, am I ever against the free market and the accumulation of capital to gain access over the means of production. And then, of course, they're talking about Marxist writings and Proudhon's writing and so on. In other words, these guys wrote books and they are responsible for the effects of their actions. They own the effects of their actions, whether it's an argument or a book or a comic. And then, and then I get treated to the edifying spectacle of communists who claim to fucking defend the working classes against the exploitation of predatory corporations. I am, and you can tell from a little bit of the salty language, I am working class to the core. I grew up in a single mother household, dirt broke. I got my first job at 11. I've been paying all my own bills since I was 16 years old, came from a rough section of town and fought and bit and clawed my way up to the very top of intellectual achievement when it came to having the world's largest philosophy show with a billion views and downloads, millions of books read. Working class guy arguing against the power of the state. My very, very first article was a stateless society, an examination of alternatives I loathe the state have always from the very beginning. So as a dedicated anarchist from the working class, I claw my way up to the very pinnacle of intellectual achievement. And then what happens? In conjunction with the state, massive globalist international corporations smash me down. Now, you'd think if there's one fucking person the communist could get behind, it's a working class guy who had the means of production smashed and taken away from him by massive globalist corporations. But no, 
That's not how they roll, my friends. That's not how they play. What they do is they cheer and applaud and approve giant multinational corporations smashing, exploiting, and taking away the means of production hard-won, hard-built, hard-fought for by a proletariat anti-statist. So that's how seriously, I mean, it's almost like a parody. I thought for a second they were kidding. And then what did they bring up? The ADL and the SPLC. Also, massive international, incredibly well-funded, hand-in-glove-with-the-state organizations that regularly get in trouble with the things that they say about people. Do they check the alternatives? Do they listen to the working class guy? Do they have any sympathy for the plight of a working class guy who's been smashed and exploited by giant multinational corporations? No, they absolutely applaud it and love it. So we have a kind of parody. I mean, I really can't put it any other way. It's a kind of parody because we've got, hey, I crowdfunded and got raised enough capital so that I can profit from my comic. Oh, Boy, isn't it great that those multinational corporations smashed that working class guy and stripped him of the means of production in an election year for specifically political reasons. So yeah, exploitation, predation, and so on, they're totally behind it. That's sort of the thing that I wanted to mention. There's the worst communists I've ever seen in my life. It's literally a complete and total parody. All right. So moving past that, let's have a quick look at the basic arguments. I don't know where we disagree. You guys hate these, I mean, theoretically, like when it actually comes to practical multinational corporations smashing up the working class, you're totally behind it and applaud it. I understand that theoretically you don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm with you, brothers. I'm 100% with you. I hate the state. I hate corporations. The corporations is a legal fiction that allows the rich and the powerful hand in glove with the armed might of the state to create a legal fiction that allows them to profit with no risk, right? They can take all the profits they want out of this legal fiction called the corporation, and when the corporation goes bankrupt, nobody can ever pierce the corporate veil and touch their own personal assets. So it is a foggy ghost by which they get the proletariat to bend over and take it up the you-know-where. So yeah, hate the state, hate corporations. My fundamental argument is that the initiation of the use of force is immoral. The initiation of the use of force is immoral. Force in an extremity of self-defense is a regrettable necessity is morally fine. Initiating the use of force is absolutely immoral. Whether it takes the form of the state through control, regulation, taxation, the exploitation of children by putting them into these Pink Floyd brain-deadening, veal-fattening pens of disinformation and lack of concentration camps known as government schools, whether it's creating money out of thin air and raping and pillaging the savings and economic productivity, of the working classes in particular and those on fixed incomes. It is absolutely brutal, whether it is starting wars and generally taking that lower Tonka toy scoop through the lower classes to send them off to be uh, cannon fodder on the battlefield, whether it is foreign policy, whether it's sticking their uh, armed might into every hornet's nest around the world and then inviting everyone in to commit acts of heinous terror in the homeland. All of these are unbelievably evil and an absolute predation upon the body politic and upon the very poor who generally bear the brunt of these kinds of horrendous policies. We are 
as flies to the wanton gods, as flies, uh, <laughs> sorry, as flies are to wanton boys, are we to the state? They kill us for their sport. So I don't know where our fundamental disagreement is, other than the fact that. Uh, as somebody from the working class who got completely smashed up by multinational corporations, I think I'm a much better Marxist than you guys are because I think that's horrible. And I've argued against people being deplatformed for perfectly legal speech on repeated occasions. I guess you like that sort of shit because you're the worst communist known to man. So if you focus on fighting back against the initiation of the use of force. It takes place in many spheres. We've talked about it with regards to the state. We've talked about it with regards to foreign policy, war. We've talked about it with regards to monetary policy or the creation of money in order to fatten the purses of the ruling classes and steal from the poor and those on fixed incomes. We also need to talk about it, as I have continuously over the course of my show, in the home. The most exploited underclass on the planet are children. Children, and, and Marxists never talk about this stuff. Because if you want to talk about where the initiation of force lands with its greatest fist and boot to the neck, it is on the backs and necks of children. Children have no legal rights in our current society. They have no economic independence. They are legally allowed to be hit in most countries around the world. The mass rape of children is endemic within society. One out of three boys, and uh, sorry, one out of three girls, one out of five boys, at a bare minimum. The industrial rape of children occurs on a fairly horrible and wide scale around the world in Western countries. And so I've always focused on the non-aggression principle must first and foremost be applied in the home. That children, and I've been a stay-at-home dad for 13 years now, so I have some experience in this matter. Uh, children must be reasoned with. They must not be punished. You must not raise your voice. You must not call them names because they're in a trapped and sub subjugated relationship. I mean, that's mostly by nature. They're trapped. They, you know, babies can't exactly go out and earn their keep. So the positive and healthy and peaceful treating of children, I'm currently working on a book called Peaceful uh, parenting. So um, I'm, I'm hoping to get that out more, but I've been talking about this from the very beginning. No spanking, no punishment, no raised voices, no yelling, and, you know, try and keep them away from government schools where they're indoctrinated by the ruling classes uh, to becoming, as the Prussian model always demanded, uh, good little foot soldiers and good little capitalist workers. So I'm not sure where our disagreement is. Now, when you get rid of the state, when you have a voluntary and relatively peaceful society, I don't have in any sense the foundational narcissistic arrogance to say how that society should be. Should it have money? I don't know. If the money is peacefully established and not coercively uh, put into people's lives, who am I to say people can't have money? If you say people can't have money, then you've got to throw in jail people who are voluntarily trading using bits of paper or cryptos or tattoos or whatever the hell people are going to end up using. That's the initiation of force. So I think we work to reduce the initiation of force as much as possible within society. We can't do much about the state and monetary policy, at least as individuals, but we can certainly talk about the peaceful parenting of children, which will end up with children being raised to the point where they won't become criminals or want to go into government or betray their principles in the opening minutes of a debate. So focus on opposing initiations of the use of force at personal and familial and social and political levels. We then end up moving towards a stateless society. What that stateless society looks like, I don't know. It's like saying, well, we've got to end slavery. Then what does society look like after we end slavery? It's really hard to know ahead of time. And you can't enforce one particular 
outcome or solution within society without violating the the non-aggression principle. So when you say, well, the state is, it pillages people and it's really bad. And of course, because the foundational, this is my last point, the foundational reality of human life is that people can't handle power. You know, it's so funny, like we have Lord Acton's famous dictum, power tends to corrupt and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. We all accept that. And then we say, yes, but we need this big powerful state to organize uh, how, how the means of production are distributed among societies. Like, no, 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 no. People can't handle power. Power is addictive. Power dehumanizes. Power creates an inhuman need for us versus them, selfing versus othering. And it, it requires the dehumanizing of those you are going to subjugate and exploit. Human beings can't handle power. We take away the power from parents to abuse their children. We take away the power of the ruling classes to use the state. And you're right, they then become like us. They have to compete with us on an even playing field, which I'm more than happy uh, to to work with and, and to accept. Human beings cannot handle power. So if you say, well, the state is really bad because it corrupts people, hey, I'm with you 150%. But then if you say, well, after we get rid of the state, society has to be this way. It's got to be classless. It's got to be, it's got to be moneyless. It's, it's like, who the hell, who, who put you in charge? Like, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. The point is to take down oligarchical, coercive, violent hierarchies like the state and then let a thousand flowers bloom. If people want to live with the collective ownership of the means of production and they don't violate the non-aggression principle to do so, fantastic. Have your hippie ways with the means of production. Have a factory where everybody votes and there's no bosses and nobody is having their excess labor uh, exploited. Fantastic. If other people, peacefully and voluntarily, don't want to do it that way, fantastic. I'm not going to sit there with a gun and tell people how to live after they become free. Human beings can't handle power. I can't. You can't. I think the moderator can, but that's probably just about it. Human beings can't handle power. So how dare you say how a free society should be organized? How dare you say what the slaves should do after we free them from slavery? The whole purpose is to oppose the initiation of the use of force. What happens after that is how history is going to play out in the first peaceful scenario known to man. And that's my closing statement. All right. Well, Stefan has went very hard and I agree with everything I'm hearing. So I will only have some cl- complimentary notes. Uh, it, Stefan talked about children and it's weird how we have this anti-natalist attitude with Brenton's intro attacking Stefan for liking eggs. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the, the eggs, each egg can potentially become a viable baby and they should be cherished and respected. And it's one of the most important thing you can do in life to reproduce and find an egg to inseminate. I find this uh, absolutely ridiculous as an opening attack. Uh, on the point of the state, I think that our opponents here are attributing the actions of the state to capitalism. When in fact, uh, you can, you can have such a broad definition of capitalism so as to include the actions of the state during capitalism in the economy and say ultimately because people have paid taxes it's capitalism that feeds the actions of the state but neither stefan nor i are standing for a strong state in fact we are combating the state and so it's uh it's a little weird to hear a critique of the state when these people know that we're not supporters of the state and then in fact the most ideal capitalistic society would be one with a very reduced state that I agree with Stefan wouldn't make any use of force if possible. So 
as far as communism, as Stefan pointed out, these guys can start their commune and they can live as much as nonviolence will allow them to live in their conceptions of property. And if they want among themselves to decide that property doesn't exist or that it's called common property, so be it. But there are reasons why societies didn't converge to this. And I believe there are reasons why such societies remain very small, inefficient, and eventually disappear. It is that communism, as our opponents define it, with a lack of conception of private property, causes a number of issues, which I will summarize in two points. One, there's a lack of economic incentives for development. If there's no such thing as the accumulation of private property, there's no incentive for someone to contribute his best to society. The reason uh, Jeff Bezos could do what he did is that he knew that if he was successful at starting a network of distribution that would be more efficient than Walmart, more efficient than anything else, that eventually he would be rewarded with private property. If you cannot give that guarantee in society, then you have people racing for the bottom. You have people not willing to engage in creative or risky endeavors. The fact that, that someone like Jeff Bezos ends up getting rewarded also displays to the future innovators of our world. It says, if you can do like Jeff, if you can improve the efficiency of society so much that people are throwing money at you through the internet, you will be rewarded for it. The absence of such a motivation economically is what plagues communistic society, and that's why they remain small, they remain familial, and they remain essentially local communes. And when they grow into big systems, these systems will tend to be less productive than their private equivalent. That's why uh, every, each of us go to a private grocery store to buy private goods at the price that is set by the free market. Now, my bet would be that if Brenton and Swadetariat would have the society they desire with a, with a stateless entity or, or a very small state, uh, that this society would converge toward the free market and it would essentially be a form of capitalism desirable to Stefan and I. So I don't take issue with their fight of the state. I just think they're deluded about whether they can maintain a highly productive society without the proper set of incentives that come from capitalism. Because there's a reason why Jeff Bezos must be a billionaire. It's because he's done something that has improved enough lives that he deserves that reward. And we want him to hold to these billion dollars and invest them in the most productive endeavors into the future. Because the community is unable to get together and determine what is best for their own future. We just have to look at our democracies and see where they're headed to see how the power of the, the mob doesn't work to direct society. We need individual innovators that are better and more intelligent and more careful than the rest of the average of the population. My second point and the second flaw of socialism and communism is that it has a poor eugenic structure. Capitalism, by limiting the amount of private property that one can obtain to whatever you can sell, whatever you can obtain on the free market, it essentially puts a leash on people. It says, if you have only $30,000 a year, that's what you deserve because that's the value of your labor. And if you want more that, than that, you need to contribute more to society by inventing something, 
by starting a company or by somehow finding something that other people want to buy for more than $30,000 a year. Because of the absence of such a leash in communism, and because, as our opponents have presented it, we distribute according to people's needs, the needs become infinite. The needs become infinite because people who get paid by whatever central structure they drain from, from whether it's a state or whether it's a commune or hippie, hippie-style farmland, they will eventually drain the energy of this farmland to make more babies. Socialism has no way to limit the growth of these needs. And as long as you fund people who bring nothing to society just because they have needs, you are creating more people with needs and more needs into the next generation. This system is unsustainable. And I've never heard in all of my career of debates on modern day debate, not a single socialist or communist came to solve this issue. So I'd like to hear Swadetariat and Brenton today how do you deal with the fact that you are creating an infinite chain of need because you're letting anyone with needs benefit from the products of society? And that is it for my introduction. You got it. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for those introductions. And want to let you know, folks, we are very excited. Next week, a debate on race and crime. As you can see at the bottom right of your screen, it is going to be a controversial one. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button as we have many more debates to come. And with that, Thank you very much, all four of you gentlemen. We will jump into open dialogue. The floor is all yours. Yeah, so I have a couple of quick answers for Steph. Uh, the first thing was you did not get banned from social media over your anarcho-capitalist stuff. Like I was on this channel not too long ago arguing with Dr. David Friedman about anarcho-capitalism. Dr. David Friedman, son of Milton Friedman, is not banned. You got banned for the ethno-nationalist stuff. No, and, you know, no if you, that's not true. First of all, you I have mean, no idea. You, you have no the, idea the why I got banned. You have no idea why I got banned. I but the point, it, the point like is, said, there's nothing that I said. I do. There's Jeff, nothing but, that I was said that was any sort of incitement to violence. I had 17 experts on talking about intelligence mm -hmm. and IQ and so on. I'm not an ethno-nationalist. I've always oh opposed God. ethnic supremacy. Just right there, that is an incitement to violence. Before we, go, before we go too far down this line of yeah, discussion, it, it is off topic. We are here to debate communism. I do want to redirect it. I, I'm just answering a direct question. I'm sorry. There. What was my incitement um, to violence? Point out sorry, you, is, you accused um, me of inciting violence. What was that? I'm saying that when you push forth that particular type of rhetoric, it is dehumanizing and it causes people to not not you. Sorry, what not type me, of rhetoric? Not even JF I'm not sure what you're talking about. But people who are um, the so this is outside the spoke the the. Uh, hey, you brought it up, man. If you're going to accuse me of inciting violence, mm -hmm. you better put some shit behind those words. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is that when humans have a natural block in our mind, when it comes towards doing violence towards other humans, uh, essentially, you don't eat your own kind. It's built into us probably by evolution. Uh, we can see this evidence by the fact that in World War II, for instance, a lot of soldiers did not actually shoot to kill their enemies. And uh, armies had to put in specific uh, methods of training to cause people about, to not man. see their enemies do you, do you not human. know that a quarter billion people a quarter of a billion people were murdered by their own governments often leftist socialist or fascist governments communist governments okay, but that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about i'm talking you about say people have an inbuilt desire when not you try to kill to make each these other large uh unsubstantiated <laughs> statements about Brent, iq Brent, it dehumanizes people we, yes i, I know do, we're off so we were well, off hold of that on. i do want to but, but given that you did bring this up i do want to give stefan the last word before we go back to communism because sure because i do want to answer his other question yeah so 
so apparently sad. talking about, I mean, I thought it was scientific socialism or scientific communism, talking about the science of IQ differences is yeah, exactly designed to reduce social conflict and violence within society. It is the very opposite you may think of that, what you're but that's claiming. Not how it Brenton, is. Brenton, we have oh, a chance to respond. You may think that, but that's not how it is. That's your brilliant rebuttal. Yeah. And if you're going to talk about, yeah, well, we don't have a big desire to kill, how about the 100 million people that communists killed in the 20th century? Do you think that oh, that falls under the category <laughs> of not wanting to kill others? I think that there's a lot of people who don't want to kill others. They just happen to be not communists. So I'm going to let Swole and, and, answer that, but hear what I wanted to say but, also on, the, on, this, uh, on this point, because I, I wanted to answer these specific charges. Um, so you accused essentially Swole and I of being hypocrites. Now, here's the thing. Let's say that we were hypocrites, like we're not, because you've got an imaginary version of anarchists and communists in your head where the idea like it's not an argument can't dude. be effective like within a market. Just try uh, making thing. an argument but rather than we reading were, my mind. I'm it's making so an childish. argument here, Stevan. Let me finish. Even Just if we start. were That's all I'm asking. hypocrites, even if we were hypocrites, that wouldn't mean we're wrong. If a doctor who smokes tells you smoking is bad for your health, is that doctor wrong? You start no. off by calling me a racist or whatever the hell it is, and then you say, well, ad hominems don't prove anything. Do you even listen to yeah. yourself, man? So what the, the, the matter the with difference. you? So first off, that's not an ad hominem. That would be an insult. Uh, worst, it would be poisoning the well. <laughs> I did not say you're wrong because you're a racist. Oh, I said my you're God. a racist and that's so you are sad. wrong. Let's move on to the other guy. This is ridiculous. Now, Just to the, close this parenthesis, though, I will say to Brenton, if yeah. you think that stating a fact is inciting violence, how about enforcing a deception over that fact? We have a choice in society. Either we're going to talk about the truth or we won't. And mm -hmm. you, you make a fetishist dichotomy here by suggesting that talking about the truth would be incitement to violence. But lying it's not simply about if it were truth, that might be true. Yeah, if it were truth, it would be true, but it's not. See, communists are very concerned well, about free speech because communists killed 100 million people in just 100 <laughs> years. So they're very concerned about violence, you see, the violence of science. Again, you're trying to paint us with the, the freaking excesses of the USSR, the exact thing that I said you would excesses. do because you can't recognize Excesses. So you're saying they killed too many people. Well, what number of people would be okay to kill? You're saying, saying 70 million was Stephen, too many. Let me, let me answer Is this 50 question. 50 million too well, many? That's it. like saying the excesses of the Holocaust, like there's some reasonable number. What is the Stephen, matter with I, you? I, I've heard, Any kind of Stephen, I've heard you. I've heard you argue this. Solitariat, solitariat. Your mic is, uh, like, I'm looking at the meter. It is off the charts. I, I need hey, you to if you can turn your gain down. How about it's, now? It's still, it's still fuzzy. Do your best, Swole, if you can answer this. Oh, now, okay? It's still fuzzy. Yeah. I, I've got to tell you, Jesus. man, even if you can go out and find a mic right now, it's, it's not the, it's, so no, 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 it's not the mic. It's, it's literally the computer. Like this happens when the, it's, listen, the it's, it's giving the audience a wonderful chance to listen to mm -hmm. a communist saying there was just excessive deaths in the Soviet yeah. Union. It was just too many. So, you know, so some number would be great, but game. they just went a little, it was like maximum, it was too high. They just went into the red, yeah. so to speak. When right? people that's talk just about excesses in this instance, that's not at all what we're actually referring to. It's a figure of speech, Stephen. You should know No, that. it's not a figure of speech. You're saying they just right. killed I too would, many I would like people. to... So, Swole, answer. You got, you're if doing I, good. If I, if, I keep, if I keep my voice low again and go for this one, let's, let's see if it works. Okay, so yeah, the, the 100 million dead figure, I've seen you mention this a few times before, uh, Stefan, and you know, I, Google is very easy. It's very, very easy to- It's called the Big Black Book of Communism. Things. It's a very well-researched yes, book. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it's it's certainly something. Uh, famously, that book was trashed by its own key contributors who denounced the book as sloppy and biased scholarship. Its own key contributors, where he got the data from, uh, by an author quote obsessed with arriving. At Do you want to cut that figure in half for accuracy? Do you want to cut it in half? Say it's only Would fifty like, million. I, 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 gotta, I, gotta, I gotta gotta tell you, Terriot, I'm going to give you five seconds to make each point. It is that bad. I've never had anybody with such a bad mic. I'm sorry for being so. Oh, you have had people with a worse mic, James. You absolutely go ahead. Name them, Brendan. Wait, he's telling. Oh, true fact oh, that's what was the guy the, the one who, who that gavin guy from the from the early uh debate who like no, didn't even, not even get, can we not debate his, the mic quality <laughs> all right let's get on yeah, with the debate let's all right let's, the, the the real number is a fraction of that a quick google search is enough to make that abundantly clear but given this fact oh google uh, you think Stefan might might ask himself why do exactly zero historians take this book seriously does it have anything to do with why exactly zero serious philosophers take Ayn Rand or write libertarianism seriously? Uh, well, these texts are written for 14-year-old edgelords. That's because the non-aggression principle... Oh, this principle is not an argument. Just insulting everyone is so retarded. Hold on, it's so dumb. Citing well, come, make some actual arguments rather than, oh, nobody respects this, and it's for 14-year-old edgelords. But just why we've, make a case. Do you, do you not know how to debate? So, yeah, so all right, if, if you want examples of uh, how they, they came up with that number, uh, they, they included basically literally everyone who died in the USSR during Stalin's years, including the World War II deaths, um, uh, all, all the famines, which uh, necessarily, you know, weren't necessarily Stalin's fault, although he did act exacerbate. The famines the weren't Stalin's fault? Have you not heard of yeah, the politicization of the, the farmlands? The, Have you the, not the, heard the of the Cambodian Khmer Rouge anyway. and the Pol Pot uh, expelling the everyone from was the cities? Anyway, but Stalin made it worse because he's an idiot and so did, so did Lysenko. He's an idiot. Yeah, he caused the yes, deaths absolutely. of millions of people. He's not evil. He's just an idiot, right? So causing yes. the deaths, being a mass I mean, murder of millions of people, are you saying Hitler was just an idiot and not evil? Yeah, evil or an idiot, it doesn't matter. They're just as dead. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter whether he's evil is, or just yeah. foolish. So if you want to talk about like the famines, for yeah. If you instance, can, if you... Swole? If you want to talk about the famines, for instance, you know those were can be dropped directly at the feet of Trofim Lysenko, who was a scientist who rejected evolution uh, and said some things that were shall we shall we say politically convenient for Stalin's power and thus got raised to the highest levels of power within Soviet society. His ideas about planting, like for instance, uh, planting seeds too close together because in his mind, plants were comrades and would not compete with each other if they were the same species, led to absolute disastrous results. And then the propaganda machine lied about it. Oh, so um, hang on, this, hang on a sec. So your argument is that so. it's the, if you, if you just had different people with this unbelievable level of power over I mean, other human the argument beings. Is if you need you, a on, let me, let me, I give you yeah. a chance to mm -hmm. speak, right? Sure. So if you just had different individuals inhabiting this incredible power structure of centralized coercive control no. over property, everything would have been fine. And my argument is it no. doesn't matter who's in power. When you have that much power, it's always going to go badly. You can't take some people out, put other people in and have it work well. Human beings can't handle power and so it's not about this individual and that. his bad ideas it's about the point. entire but power again, structure if you're going yeah. to try to drop something at the feet of socialism as in like socialist philosophy and ideology it is important to understand where there are personal failings and where there are structural failings why the did personal one individual... failing was on the part of uh, of trofim lysenko the structural failing was on the part of the ussr itself and it's um paranoid system of propaganda that was no the no problem. it's propaganda didn't cause the famine 
Individuals, no, it, it hang on, let me did. finish. Individuals no. didn't cause the famine. You know what caused the famine? Collectivization of the farmland, violation of property rights, no. and the stripping of property for the soldiers. No, by the we state. Know that's that's what caused the famine. It's not the, the individuals. Land. They collectivized the land in Spain, and that didn't happen. And in fact, yeah. when they collectivized the land in Spain, it was a giant boom of food. Like that was the one thing the anarchists, the Spanish anarchists, were amazing at was feeding absolutely everyone. So we know for a fact it was not the collectivization. It was specifically Lysenko. So socialism and is Stalin. not anarchism. Yeah. You understand? Anarchism means without rulers. Socialism means <sighs> centralized control over the means anarchism of production. Anarchism has always been the left wing uh, of the socialist movement in the sense that we have always been the direct action oriented uh, anti-state libertarian. Like the very first person to ever call themselves a libertarian was Joseph de Jacques, who was an anarcho-communist. Does it mean, does anarchism mean without rulers anarchism means without rulers okay fantastic then you and i rulers. are the same yeah. and then when you talk about one government under Stalin having massive control over the allocation of resources and land and crops and fertilizer is that being without a ruler no that's being with a centralized yeah. coercive Stephen, oligarchical powerful ruler so it's the opposite of anarchism that's why i'm saying it's the power not the individuals that causes the problems okay so first off we may agree on something like that. But the fact is, is that we don't agree, for instance, on ethno-nationalism, you know, which you have gone on record. If you if you denounce that now, fine. But what like, I, definitely I've never, do not what, agree what on you that. Okay, define ethno-nationalism for me. I don't even know what you're As talking about. As in a country where the state keeps out people that you find undesirable. Uh, you said, uh, let's see, back in October 4th, 2015, you cannot run a high IQ society with low IQ people. That These is a fact. Are going if if to you fail. don't like that fact, then you can take it up with the researchers who I came mean, up. I mean, it's hang not on, a fact, let me finish. Just for those of you know, you are, you hang on, for those of you know, I actually, I had the guy, I had the actual author of the book. So don't shoot the messenger. Mm -hmm. And he found that when I, the average IQ dips to, be, to about 90 or below, Freedom, free speech, democratic structures, market structures tend to collapse. Yeah. And Helmuth, Ny hang on. Helmuth Nyborg is the scientist. So if you want to go and argue with him, and I had him on the show and I cross-examined him, it's not my data. Don't shoot the messenger. Be a mature, big person and go and talk to the person who actually did the research. That does okay. not so say, say ethno-nationalism. That is simply a scientific fact. Stefan, <laughs> could you See, give me an you, example you, you, you're of... Not Stefan, could you could you give me an example of a society that had a high IQ and then lost that high IQ and then be, became worse off because of it? A society that had a high IQ, yeah, lost the I, lost. high IQ. Well, yeah. we can see this. So I also, uh, Edward Dutton, I had on my show as well. He's written a really <laughs> powerful book called At Our Wits End. And again, you yeah. get mad at him if you want to shoot in the messenger, but you know, you got to be mature and not just roll your individual. eyes when facts come along. And I, IQ across the West is dropping. IQ, sadly, in sperm counts. I think my sperm I, count I is dropping out, just being in contact with you, Mad Dutton. There be other reasons for that. So, hold on. We, uh, the, the interruptions, the, Brenton, I do want to hear the rest from Stefan. And then yeah. eventually you want to, it's JF. Has okay, the, this guy either. runs a think tank no, no, started by the protege of Dr. Mengele. All right, I hate to do this, but <laughs> uh, Brenton, I'm ready ridiculous. to mute you. So I, I got to give him an actual chance to respond. Says, so I, IQ, respond. IQ is falling. Now, would we say that the West is doing better now than it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago? For, no. for me, I mean, I would, look, I would look at this and I would say that the West, in terms of unfunded liabilities in $180 trillion just in the West, we have a lot of deferred poverty in national debts. And after the Second World War, 
poverty, particularly among the black community, which is where we should really focus our efforts on alleviating poverty, poverty was declining one percentage point every single year after the Second World War until LBJ's Great Society and Welfare State programs, the welfare warfare state of uh, uh, the social planning for, for the uh, underclass as well as, of course, the war in Vietnam and Cambodia, of course, to some degree as well. So we had a situation wherein, for the first time in human history, the poor people had a very real shot of getting out of poverty, and particularly the black families and the black communities. That, tragically, was destroyed by the warfare welfare state, and now we've created a permanent underclass. I think that's actually pretty bad. So we do have an example where things, I think, have gotten worse. IQ has tended to decline uh, across uh, in America and, and other places. And these are, you know, it's, IQ is a pretty objective test. It's been around for 100 years. It's been well validated by just IQ's about every scientific metric IQ's known to IQ has been man. raising. I'm sorry? I'm sorry? IQ, IQ has, has been, been raising up. up to the 70s. And then what, you call, what they call the Flynn effect has reversed since the 70s, stabilized then, and then we're getting lower. So much lower, in fact, that in many leftist places of America right now, there is a movement to stop testing people, to stop imposing standards for success in universities. And so definitely what you say is true before the 70s. After the 70s, we're going this is just to the lie. opposite direction. No, that's not true, actually. That's not true. It's still going up. That is true. Uh, well, tell up. me about the data. From which scientists Guys, do you claim? This, this is off topic. Yeah, listen, from... just, just no. for those of you who don't know, and we won't debate this now, so there's a, a measure of the sort of most concentrated uh, intelligence. It's called the G factor, and they called it the G factor because they couldn't really think of a good word. IQ oh, is boy. a good measure of how to take tests, but there's a raw processing power called G, and the G tends to be declining, although you're right, and in some metrics, IQ uh, is increasing, but the sort of most common underlying processing power tends to be uh, going down, so... And, and of course, we can see it's very well correlated, and this has been talked about in Newsweek and other places, that GDP tends to be correlated to uh, average IQ within a country. Again, these are just basic facts. Now, the fact that you would then go, oh, this means you're an ethno-nationalist is, is such a ridiculous leap from a scientific discussion of the literature to a, a horrendous... So group. you are I not an ethno-nationalist. So let me get this just straight. You are not an ethno-nationalist, and you do not think the government should keep out uh, people who have low IQs. I think that, that the is, government is that the should not exist at all. So you're asking me to to deploy an institution I think is morally invalid. So I, mm -hmm. I don't even know how that I've denounced the state. And then you're saying, well, do you want the state to do something? Did you not follow the earlier argument? Was it too complicated? I mean, again, I don't believe the words you say half the time. Because, because this is, first off, a lot of times ANCAPs define the state completely different than traditional anarchists do. We normally define the state as the military and the police. Uh, ANCAPs and libertarians tend to define the state as the government, uh, specifically as uh, like the... Uh, um, the, the body that is, exists for the creation and mediation of policy. So if you tell me you're anti-state, but then you make statements that seem to say that you're okay, or at least um, will entertain the idea of keeping certain people out because you feel they are incompatible with the society, I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm going to have a hard what, what, time What are you talking you about? You when have really I ever said people should be kept out who are incompatible? Like you're just arguing with some bizarre straw man in your head? Like, what are you Again, talking about? Again, you are on record of having said this. Oh, I have said what? Now, if you did we not should mean keep that. people out who can't participate in this? What are you talking about? On record, okay, yeah. give me the quote. Give me the quote, big guy, give me the quote. You are importing a gene set that is incompatible with success in a free market economy. 
that if, if you if you are bringing yeah. in groups with average lower IQs, it's going to be a problem. Now, I don't believe that the state should keep them out at all. I so don't do believe in the that? state as a whole. How do we stop that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the big idea, of course, would be to rely on private charity rather than the welfare state, because the welfare state, and this is a private common... charity to keep people out and to, to halt just, the free movement again, of peaceful just to people. Stop the interruptions. Mm. All right. Yeah, so this is this is an old argument. You can go back to Milton Friedman. You could, it's not even my argument. So again, you're just shooting the messenger. And the argument is you can have open borders or you can have a welfare state, but you cannot have both. And again, you can get mad at me, but this is not even my argument. So, and it's a very I good mean, that's a terrible argument. You absolutely can. And both. I'll point, I'll point to Brent. I'm, fe yeah. I'm very disappointed here mm -hmm. because Solitariat, I asked for scientific evidence. He says it's outside the subject, so somehow data cannot be brought in this subject, according oh, to them. Wait, wait, when and did then, I say that? Well, I, I asked, I asked, uh, what is the the evidence that the Flynn effect? is not reversing and that it's continuing in the last 10 years and you said we're not going to talk about that it's outside of the subject no i said literally google it, it. like it, okay it, well, still, well still... google it and tell me tell me which scientist has published a study in the last 10 years claiming the flynn effect is continuing in america i'd we like can to continue see that this. after this debate now brent on yes. your point there is a way through private property that you can have a reduction of the free movements of people. If private all property of the lands, is guaranteed by the state. It doesn't exist without the state. Well, private property is not just guaranteed by the state. People are willing to protect it themselves through their own actions and security forces. Private property mm -hmm. has emerged naturally in, in societies of monkeys that were protecting their bananas from the other monkeys. You understand, you, you yeah. can't even have a debate without private property you can't have a debate with personal using... property personal okay. property you yeah. are you are you are... i don't care about how you label it in the end it, if people it... own lands in a libertarian society there may be people who try to enter that society but are incapable of acquiring lands because they're incapable to survive on the free market incapable to so sell their this... labor or sell so, products yeah th this argument is ridiculous because there's plenty of land for everyone we're nowhere near a point where we don't have enough land and there you will oh, not we'll find reach enough people who soon. agree with you and will want to keep that many people out. Well, but not of course it's the government. People can only control the land that they can physically defend by themselves and use. It's not possible. The borders it's the are government, too large. It's the government that the prevents people. It's the government that prevents people from gaining access to lands. And I'm sure we're on the same page as far as this goes, which is when the government prevents you from going out and homesteading, when the government prevents you from uh, freely building roads, when the government reserves massive areas of land for its own use or, or whatever it is, they're preventing people from going out and using the land. One of the greatest barriers to the productive and enjoyable use of land is the state. And I'm absolutely, completely and positively certain that people can figure out property rights in the absence of a state. I'll give you a tiny example. It sounds kind of silly, but it's, it's actually very real. If, there's, if you go to a sort of country fair, then uh, there's uh, booths that people can set up to sell their wares. And what people do is they just go out and they put a little chalk outline about where they want their booth, and, and everybody just leaves that alone. Now, nobody's going to call the police uh, or go to the courts. And this It's a spontaneous recognition that good boundaries make good natures, uh, good good fences make good neighbors. And you got to, I mean, you understand. There is that a hierarchy when, in those. When I, when I grew up uh, looking at the Berlin Wall, right, uh, where uh, when people tried to escape from East Berlin, they were gunned down. 
gunned down trying to forcefully is trying to peacefully leave a society that was intolerable to them because of its lack of freedom and and the, uh, the concentration camps and shirt, and so you? when you guys defend communism which is well known for shooting people trying to cross barriers and then say oh it's really bad to have boundaries to <laughs> to free movement of people is madness yeah so again you are equating communism which is much bigger than even just Marx and Engels, let alone, you know, Lenin and South, with one specific variant of communism, which, you know, never reached communism, never really reached socialism, got about to state capitalism and imploded. So yeah, that's a bad model. We probably shouldn't do that. There's no disagreement on that. Um, you know, the issue here, like when we're talking about the free movement of peaceful people and the fact that I don't think you can make any ethical case whatsoever to halt that. And secondly, I, I don't think you can possibly stop people from moving where they want to go and where they are welcome without a state to do it. Now, if you oppose the state, you have to necessarily support open borders. And I will also say that you can absolutely have open borders with uh, welfare. And the whole reason is I can, we have open borders in the United States between states. I can leave New York and go into Kentucky. And let's say there's wealth. Can I claim the welfare in Kentucky? No, because I don't live there. So obviously we can have different levels for what you are allowed to take essentially from the community stores based upon who you are, how long you've been there, what you do. That's perfectly fine. But yeah, the, it is absolutely compatible with a, a, a quote unquote welfare society. So where is it's our, idiotic to So hang otherwise. on. So you're, you're against the state, but you're for the welfare state. I mean, I'm okay with in the. So you're not against first of all, the state. I'm giving you. I'm giving you an example as to why that line of logic doesn't. No, work. we get rid of we get rid of borders and the welfare state. I'm. I don't I want mean, borders. I don't want. To, I don't want so, an. I don't want any initiation of the use of force. If it's used to keep people out, that's bad. If it's used to forcibly take people's property and transfer it for political power, which it almost always is, that's bad too. We're on the same page. So, All initiation yeah, so we have of the to talk use of force is immoral. Because we got to talk about the NAP because the NAP is a garbage moral system. And you oh really my God, can you defending. start off by making a fucking <laughs> argument rather than just well, trash talking stuff like a fucking two year old? Yeah. Jesus. So here's the issue. Here's the issue with the NAP. The NAP prevents no violence whatsoever. All it does is seek to, when it's actually put into practice in reality, it excuses violence committed by the more powerful entity. So for instance, with regard to the NAP, when there is a argument, let's take for instance, oh, I don't know, Israel. You have uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and you have the Israelis. Both sides claim that the other is aggressing against them and both sides are correct. So what happens? They fight and the IDF kicks the crap out of them and essentially forces them into an open air prison. Because again, the NAP can't actually it's it's basing everything on the subjective act of aggression and it just says don't be aggressive rather than the real material okay, conditions um, i don't know what the hell i feel like i'm in some alternate universe here where we're not even speaking the same language okay how is the how are the israeli military funded are they funded voluntarily are they funded coercively how are they staffed are they staffed voluntarily I mean, Hang on, let me finish states. let me finish yeah. uh -huh. are they funded voluntarily or are they funded coercively so when you're talking about, when you're what talking about, mean? hang on, when you, I'll explain it to you because you guys okay. don't seem to have grasped the NAP at all. <laughs> so when you have a state actor called the IDF mm -hmm. that is funded and staffed 
by putting guns to people's heads, taking their money and taking years of their life by forcing them to enlist. That is mm -hmm. a violation of the non-aggression principle. And I so mean, when you're saying, well, okay. the IDF somehow justifies the non-aggression principle, a state army is funded and staffed through violence, through violations of the non-aggression principle. That's where you need to stop, not what happens afterwards. Sure. But again, the same problem happens with two people, two normal people who are not funded. Oh, now we're going oftentimes from state actors in, to individuals. Oftentimes in a fight, okay. both people will say that they've been aggressed against. Of course, so you don't you need, need the IDF. It's just one obvious example. No, it's not uh, an obvious example because it, the IDF only exists because of violations of the non-aggression principle. So it's not at all an obvious example. Okay, but again, it, no, no, no. It's the same the problem IDF exists with two people. The IDF exists purely because of the of capitalism and the state. Capitalism requires a state. That's why it exists. It exists to protect the capitalist interests in Israel. It doesn't what is exist your definition have of anything capitalism? to do with hang some on, idealist hang notion. Hang on. You're just throwing words in here, which you haven't defined. What is your definition? You, you can't just use these words like some monkey shooting a gun. What, what do you want? Right? What do you want to find? What, 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 what do you need help with? What do you need help with? What is the definition of capitalism? With? A mode of production based on private property and uh, the exploitation of labor. Okay, so exploitation of labor is somewhat subjective, but let's talk about private property. No, no, it's, it's a scientific term. It doesn't mean it's not a moral good or bad. It's just exploitation. Uh, it's no, exploitation is not a scientific no. term. Just adding the word it, science doesn't make it, something it scientific. Is in, no, no, my argument is scientific, so I'm right. No, so you're saying it's private property. Okay, so if you're saying that the IDF only exists because yes. of capitalism, and capitalism yes. is defined as private property, but the IDF only exists because private property is violated, then you have your head so far up your ass you get to see out of your eyes twice. Yeah, Stefan, you were, you were disagreeing with Adam Smith and John Locke. So what? Like, Who cares? The, the, the point is this, is, this is a basic idea about the state and how it, it, it functions. I just made an well, argument. Replying with the word basic doesn't alter my argument. I'll run through it again argument. because you obviously missed yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you froze. say that capitalism is based upon private property, but the but government armies and mm -hmm. police only exist because of violations of private property, then you can't say that capitalism is responsible that's for those not why, things. That not, that's not what I said. You're, 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 yes, it you're, is. You're, yeah. You said that the, the government. They, you said that government armies and police exist because of capitalism, but then you define capitalism as private property. But the armies and police only exist because of violations of private property, which is the no, opposite of capitalism. You just can't have it both they ways. Exist. They exist to protect surplus and protect property from the masses. Okay, yeah. how, okay, I don't know why you guys don't know this. How are the police and the military funded? Are they funded voluntarily or through coercion? It doesn't matter how they're funded. Yeah, funded why, was, why It doesn't matter how matter? they're funded? What are you talking about? They're, Are they, they funded voluntarily funded by or through coercion? Class at the time, whatever class mm -hmm. that is, is going to is going to fund their existence. Are they yeah. funded? It's it's yes no question, guys. Let's not let's not filibuster this. Okay, it doesn't matter how they're funded. They're funded it, it by and matter for how they're funded. It matters, it matters it's like to the saying, NAP definition no, it because it's like saying it doesn't matter whether here. it's rape or lovemaking. Of course, it fucking <laughs> matters. What, if they're funded through violence, here. if they're funded through violence, they're not part of capitalism. I, if I they're funded through violations it, but, but of what, privacy, what JF, JF, JF has been waiting patiently. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I can't JF. believe I'm saying it. Let's hear, hear from JF. It matters because it tells you who initiated the violence. Uh, oh Brent God. is trying to apply. Brent is trying to apply the NAP to a situation where there's bilateral violence. This is not yeah. what the AP, the NAP serves. The NAP tells you the state in which there is no violence on either side. And that's the place of society we want to be headed for. Yeah, the NAP doesn't tell you 
doesn't tell you what happens when two people are going at it against each other. That's not what it's been designed for. Sure. It's how, the do you, how do you enforce? How do you enforce the NAP, uh, Jean-François? And how do you? You, uh, yeah, you, how do you punish. You punish the violations of consent. The who, violations. Who punishes? How who do you punishes? establish who actually who owns that? what? How do you establish who actually owns what? Because as far as I can tell within the history of our planet, it is one violation of property rights after another, after another, after another, going back in an infinite regress. How did you get this? He got it. I got it from my father. How did he get it? He got it from his father. How did he get it? He fought for it. Okay, then we'll fight you for Wait, it. Wait, how did you, who so did you, who did you steal your comic book from? Uh, I'm sorry? You wrote a comic book, right? Yeah. Who did you steal it from? Um... I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm talking about property like as in physical well, things. No. Like yeah, it's really a comic book. Hang on, right hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me ask, let me ask. Yeah. So you're saying all property is stolen, but you're creating, you, and you have a piece no, of I'm property. Say, hang on, property let me finish, let me finish, let me finish. Okay. You have a piece, mm -hmm. of piece of property called a comic book, right? Uh, that would be, yeah, I guess intellectual property and the physical did you, did you create that? Did you create that or did you yeah. steal it? Um, I created it. Okay, so there's a piece of property that was not stolen. We're okay, but I'm not talking about property. that. I'm talking about like land. I'm talking about large. Oh, you're talking about property. all the other property that's not part yeah, of what you've created. Because property you know, is a large term. So I'm sorry. The difference, do you know the difference between private property and personal property, Stefan? I'm not sure that you do. Okay, so a, pers a, a personal property is like your toothbrush and private property mm -hmm. would be like your computer, your microphone and so on, right? Uh, no. No. no, no, computer and microphone are still personal property. The way you want to see the difference between personal property and private property is what can you personally hold and control and what do you need a state to hold, to control because someone else uses it on your behalf. But here's the That's thing the guys, difference. look. If you ask factory, if you hang on a factory if you, is private property. If you ask how and this is I understand the curiosity I really do mm -hmm. but we we kind of get into science fiction land here and what I'm saying is that think of slavery, right? So slavery was ended because it was evil and immoral, exploitive in a coercive and violent manner. And of course, it was a giant state program because all of the costs of slavery were, um, uh, costs of enforcing a slavery were offloaded to, to the general population through taxation. So when someone comes along and says, we got to end slavery, it's just immoral. And then you say, oh, you, well, you've got to tell me, hang on, you've got to tell me how cotton is going to be picked without slaves. You've got to tell me how food and vegetables is all going to be picked without slaves. And, and, and if you can't tell me that, we can't end slavery because we'll all starve and freeze to death because we won't have any food. We, we end things peacefully because they're immoral. Now, what happens afterwards is not that relevant. It can't be predicted. Like no one would have said, no one would have said to the question of what happens after slavery. No one would have said, hey, man, I know exactly how things are going to go after slavery. Relatively soon, we're going to have these big, giant robots made of metal that are half the width of the entire field, and they have these big, giant turning wheels, and they'll go up and down, and they'll pick it automatically. And, and they're going to run on crushed dinosaur juice from 300 million years ago. I mean, someone would look at you and say, well, that's, in, that's not an answer. That's insane. But that's actually what happened. We, can't, we don't know what's on the other side of the non-aggression principle. We don't know what's on the other side of genuine human freedom. And trying to plan for it is simply stalling progress and saying, well, we can't have the future until we know exactly what it looks like. But we don't know exactly what it looks like any more than we knew what the end of slavery looked like. Can I, uh, can I respond to that? And then I want to respond to Jean-Francois' uh, earlier question, uh, just to be nice to him. 
so yeah, um, Stefan, I'm glad, I'm impressed that you say we don't exactly know how a post-state society would look. Uh, this is exactly what Marx. This is exactly what Marx argued against the utopian socialists, which were the leftists of his time. Um, as for uh, Jay, after question about. Um, Wait, but you were demanding answers as to how things could get solved. You can't, like, you were demanding answers as to how things get solved, but then you said, oh, Marx said that you can't ever know how things get solved. That's utopianism. And you argued against utopianism. Who's demanding answers on how things should get solved? Yeah, no worries. What the hell are you asked, how do we distinguish a property that was properly acquired with a property that was acquired through aggression? So we're right, explaining but, uh, it to you. Yeah, not, because your, your notion as idealist. Hypothetical future society that has to do with like right now when it, like you can't establish the NAP if you can't establish that. Like, establish you can, true. This is what common law was seeking to do with principles of tort. It may not be perfect in its implementation, but the idea that you are taking something against the will of the person having it who has in turn obtained it legally uh, that would be what we're looking for. And if you've done things I like mean, defaming in mm -hmm. the process or frauding or defrauding, that would be punished. It's as simple as this. Yeah, so that only works as far back as we have legal records and assuming that we have a legal system that can be utilized in a fair manner, which we do not. Um, what I'm saying is, is that it, it calling for the NAP right now is like you've been playing a game of King of the Hill. And one little asshole pushes his way to the top of the hill and gets up there and says, I'm king. Guess what? No pushing. That's aggression. You know, it's 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 a ridiculous uh, way to try to look no, at the you, world. You just really made up what you you just made up a ridiculous scenario and called it ridiculous. I'm not sure what input it's, that it's, has it's to our general conversation. No, no, no. It's ridiculous because it's utopian in that it doesn't, unlike Marxism or even anarchism, really, it doesn't explain how you get there. It's just an idealist notion. It's like we should all just have this idea. And oh no, no, I'm sorry, sorry, to interrupt. That oh, idea. Uh, hang anarchism on, hang on. does have theory to get there. Do do yeah, I, I, I have, I have, I know how to get there, and so. And just I'm I'm just going to touch on this because I know you know we've all got got lives to live. People can go to bombinthebrain.com. So I did a lot of work um, in, interviewing subject matter experts, psychologists, and scientists on child abuse. So why are people violent? They're violent because they were abused as children. Why do they become criminals? They become criminals with very few exceptions, like brain tumors and stuff like that. They become criminals because they were abused as children. How do we end the state. Well, the state has all the military and, and controls education and the media and, and obviously, to some degree, my access to, to uh, corporations. So the way that we end it is we spread peaceful parenting. We raise children peacefully and rationally so they can think for themselves, so they're not traumatized, so they're not hysterically aggressive, so they're not entitled, so they're not paranoid, so they're not drug addicts and promiscuous. And, right? and all of these effects of child abuse um, and, and there's something called the adverse childhood experience, which everyone should really take just to sort of measure how your childhood was. And if you are raised relatively peacefully, it doesn't have to be perfectly, there's no such thing as perfection this side of heaven, then you will grow up to be robust, healthy. You know, child abuse takes an average of 20 years off people's lifespan. It contributes to ischemic heart disease and cancer and promiscuity and addiction and, and violence, as I mentioned, I criminality and so on. Hang here. on, let me just, let me just finish. Okay. So if... We raise children peacefully, and that's sort of been my major mission for the last uh, 16 years and, and even before that in sort of my private life. We raise uh, children peacefully. They won't grow up 
to be feral and aggressive towards others. There will, of course, not be everybody raised peacefully, so we also need to raise them with the confidence and avoiding bad situations or self-defense if necessary, because it's not like the whole world suddenly become peaceful tomorrow. And from that particular process, the state is, the state is invested in child abuse because child abuse creates predators and destabilization and, and terrible diseases and, and all of that. And so we say, oh my gosh, there's all these dangerous people in society. We better hang on to the state to protect us. If we can apply the non-aggression principle where it has its most traction, which is in early childhood, particularly up to the age of sort of six or seven seems to be the important aspect of it, then we grow up seeing more benevolent people around us, more helpful people around us. We'll have more empathy, more charity, more help for the people who are uh, doing less well, more sympathy. This is the IQ argument is we don't blame, okay. we don't blame so people. For, hang on, I'm almost I, done, I I'm almost done, I promise. Hang on, I'm almost done when you promise. So with the IQ argument, we don't get mad at people or blame them for things that are beyond their control. And the science is pretty clear that IQ is about 80% genetic by our late teens. 20% is still a lot to work with, which is why I do a philosophy show. And so the long-term goal is not a violent revolution. It's not stringing up the bourgeois by their necks or anything like that. All that does is create a new cycle of violence and trauma and get more millions killed. It's to take the non-aggression principle, bring it to life in your own life. That's not utopianism. Raising children without aggression is not utopianism. I can tell you, I've done it for 13 years almost. Yeah, it's, it's very achievable. It's, it's idealism. No, like, it's not it's idealism. Strictly in, the, in the philosophical not, sense, but... Yeah. Hang on. So first off, um, I've been meaning to say this for the entire debate. So if you're against child abuse and like you were talking about mass rape and all this stuff, what in the world are you doing? Like working with a guy who is funded by the largest known mass rapist in the entire freaking world, Jeffrey Epstein. Like, I'm here if to this is look, something you care about. I, I obviously with JF? I, 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 I'm here to debate communists who I'm with is less important to me. Right. Oh. I mean, you, I mean, you guys, you guys so, are, so you, you guys you, are calling mass, so you guys are calling mass murderers just idiots. Let's hear from JF. Uh, it is, Brent, him. Yeah. I give you the choice, a world in which Jeff Epstein keeps the $25,000 in his bank account or a world in which we remove it from his bank account. Which world do you prefer? I mean, money isn't real, so it doesn't actually make a difference. Bitcoin's real. Which world? <laughs> you have what? to choose one. A world uh, in which he keeps the money or a world in which we remove it from his bank account? Well, being that you used it to spread hate, no, I don't, don't talk, don't talk about me. I'm, I'm yeah. giving you a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. You leave the money in his bank account or you make it disappear. What do you think is the best? Uh, I would say from an ethical standpoint, you leave the money in his bank account. You don't take you don't take that man's money, period. Why? Because well, if nobody want, took his money, to be he wouldn't have his power. You want him to buy? A, you want him to buy one more prostitute? No, I want everyone to turn down his money. Because again, money isn't real. No, it's but just I didn't say turn down. I'm presenting you a yeah. hypothetical, and you're you're refusing to engage I, I with get, it. So I get what I think, you're trying. I think so, you're so, engaging so, in extremely so, bad faith in this debate. But so let's J, move on JF. because that was just a ridiculous attack, and you're clearly not equipped to answer because you. We both mm -hmm. know the answer. It's that you would remove the money from his bank account, which is what I. I did. mean, I would you remove know the I money from his bank saved, account, but I wouldn't. I take probably, it for myself. I probably saved more women from prostitution by doing this than you will ever in your life. Oh my God! No, money isn't real, dude. You must. Okay, <laughs> Will this money isn't real idea is a great way to return to the communism topic. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> so, so I did have that question, but yes, yeah, Swole, I'm sorry. Go. Yeah, Stefan. Um, 
So a lot of the stuff you said, you know, I agree with you. It would be great to do those things you are saying. But the problem I see, uh, you know, as a materialist and, is that, again, you're talking idealism here. You haven't changed fundamentally the, uh, the relations to society, the power structures that are keeping, uh, that are reproducing all the same things you hate about the state and about coercion and about violence. Um, and and it, you also said that the state uh, wants people to be, you know, fucked up and, and they want child abuse. That's, that's actually backwards. The state wants, uh, you know, it educates people for a reason. It wants healthy people who can go into the army, be its soldiers, uh, fight its battles, and create uh, economic profitability for it. Because the state is a bourgeois state, uh, and a bourgeois states need to reproduce themselves through profitability and through imperialism. The government wants its citizens to be healthy? Then why on earth is the government-mandated food pyramid producing such unbelievable levels of child obesity and, and adult obesity? It wants them and, to be and healthy why is it, why is it that children aren't Very allowed to play? Because and hang on, you well, asked wait, a question. Hang on, you, ma you made on. a statement. Let me rebut. And, and how is it possible that the government is funding, you know, the mass drugging of children with psychotropics? And how is it that the government is funding the separation of fathers from their children through family courts and the welfare state? And how is it that the government is making the army less and less ready with a variety of mad initiatives that make it less combat ready? And what you're talking about, that the government wants a healthy population, the government's... And, and why is it the children are not allowed to go out and run around and, and play anymore in schools? The, the government doesn't want you healthy that the government just wants you uh, sick and frightened and dependent and 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 aggressive and jumpy and unprotected so that you constantly run into this giant fascistic structure called the state for your your sucker this is a this is a great question so the state fundamentally is the central committee of the bourgeoisie it's where it goes central the bourgeoisie gets to organize itself in in the most long-term way it can't because it can't do that uh, you know, as corporations and, and it's on its own, it's going to make, uh, there's all kinds of fractions within it. And because it's a bourgeois state, it's going to have uh, its own forms of corruption, right? Because uh, money and monopoly breed power. And that means all those corporations have uh, have interest in the state. And that's why you get things like uh, the open opioid epidemic, yeah. um, which also, which happened to run counter, right? So if you have, and, and, the, and it depends on whether you elect, you know, the, the right wing of the bourgeoisie or the left wing of the bourgeoisie. Uh, there's, there's, there's ups and downs to both, right? Sorry, are what, great. what, what fact, percentage, I sorry, I didn't drop. I don't I know, like can you define, can you define, hang on, hang on, hang on, sorry, I just, I'm genuinely confused. I don't know what you mean by the bourgeoisie. I mean, I understand some general arguments for it, but what do you mean by the bourgeoisie is like, what percentage of society are you talking about here? So the bourgeoisie is the, uh, the the capitalist class, the owners of the means of production, the big bourgeoisie. Now, this wouldn't yeah, include one percent. Like percent. It wouldn't include small business owners. It would include small. Uh, it would include big landowners as well. So, like a guy uh, who owns a know, convenience store would be in the bourgeoisie. No, that would be, no, be, be in the bourgeoisie. That would be uh, that's petite petty bourgeoisie. bourgeoisie. That's yeah. Okay, but that's part that of the bourgeoisie. It's the, just the, a subsection, right? It, the petty bourgeoisie is kind it, it, of a, it's a swing different class. class. It's its own thing. It's it's artists, artisans, and they small business have, owners. So you with the comic book would be they actually petty have different interests. Right? Yeah, I, I was a worker before, the, and now the, the that petty... I've got my own business, I'm a petite bourgeoisie. Wait, if you're a communist, though, why would you go from the working class to the exploiting class? I mean, I don't exploit anyone. My it only doesn't matter. What Wait, you, you can be a bourgeois and own the means of production without exploiting people. No, you can't. Yeah, but yeah, you, 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 you ever heard of a guy called uh, Robert Owen? Book, right? mm -hmm. 
There was there was a famous socialist called Robert Owen in the 1800s who was one of the first utopian socialists, and he he was one of the guys that helped pave the way for for Marxism. And, and uh, but yeah, you can be in any class and be and, and be a Marxist and be a communist. Uh, That's true. Or an anarchist. Wait, no, but so you can, Rockin was a prince. Be, I'm I'm just confused, right? Because I thought it was scientific, which means no exception. So you can control the means of production without exploiting yeah. the workers. No, you will exploit the workers. Absolutely. You would absolutely yeah. no, but the guy with the comic book, he, he owns the means of production. He controls the production of his no, comic he doesn't, book, right? Because he's, no. he's a small business owner and, and in fact probably a sole proprietor, actually. Yeah, that would be I'm a sole proprietor. The only person being exploited by my comic book business is me. Well, how do you um, produce your I'm yeah. just he's genuinely exploiting curious. Himself. How do you how do you produce the he's comic exploiting book? Exploiting himself. Yeah, do I you work print with... it with your own hands? Do you roll a kind of wooden thing to print your comic book? Or yeah. are there workers no, no. involved? No, I, I contract out my my printing, but I make sure to print it within the United States and do my best to avoid going overseas. Where people are getting exploited, right? But the United even States. Even if he even if he yeah. did, it wouldn't matter because. Mm -hmm. What the, the, the goal, like how you get to socialism and communism is not by being a moral person or, be, yeah, or living or being the truest. Yeah, it's we're not <laughs> idealism. This is how you guys think. This is not how the reality works, though. You, you don't just be the most virtuous version of a socialist and therefore. OK, so happens. hang on a sec. So I mean, this is I really, really appreciate this. And I, I, I don't mean to sound snarky. I genuinely really, really appreciate this. So you're saying that you can do evil within the current system in order to achieve your goal. I mean, you can, yeah, you can, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't, tell, I wouldn't call it evil. I would say it's, uh, it's a, no, no, you like, said don't you don't have to be virtuous, which means that you would be doing something that's not virtuous or the opposite of virtue, which would be evil, right? Yeah. I mean, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson raped his, his, uh, his, uh, you know, his black slave, but he did also a lots of great things and I would call him a great man anyway. So what are the evils that you would do? This is straight up. Dostoevsky, right? This is straight up crime yeah. and punishment, right? Like you've got this really mm -hmm. bad woman who's who's a pawnbroker who's ripping off students as, as the Raskolnikov thinks, and he goes and kills her. So what evils or currently defined evils would you guys commit? Because, you know, you're talking about me, hate speech from JF and inciting mm -hmm. violence to me, like it's, you know, and, and now we're at the place where you guys are like, oh yeah, we would totally do immoralities under the current system in order to achieve our goal. Is there a limit? Whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do one of us not morality. do? Hang on, I'm just neither, going with what you said. Neither one of us said that. We, we, he, we said hypothetically someone could do that. No, no, no. He, also, he said also, he said you don't have to be a good person. You you don't you can't be virtuous to achieve your goals. I said it's not about it's not about virtues. So, okay, so, it's not about virtues. So, what immoralities would you guys? This is your argument, not mine. And I'm I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm genuinely curious, right? Because what immoralities. immoralities? Because look, you 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 said you're you're gonna you're gonna exploit the workers because you're controlling the means of production through paying people to produce your comic book, right? And you say that's fine. So okay, exploiting the hang on, hang on, hang on, exploiting the workers does not track. Exploiting the workers so, is bad, but it's okay if it produces a comic book that advances communism. So the ends justify the means. And I'm just so trying to explore that. No, no one has made that argument, Stefan. No, no. Well, Ro it's recorded, Owen, like so you can saying, deny it, but it's what? recorded and can be played back. So I don't know where we're yeah, going from Yeah, and here. you will find Robert, when you record it, Owen was back, no one's made that argument. That is your characterization. Robert Owen was a, was a factory owner in the 1800s, and he... He, he, he argued for socialism. He wrote about it. He was involved in socialist actions, but he owned factories. And what he did was he, he made experiments where he uh, see if he could up productivity from his workers by lowering the amount of hours of work they, uh, they did and upping their pay. And uh, sure enough, he found that uh, his, he got better work out of it. He got more productivity out of treating his workers better. Now, he was still exploiting them, and he had to as a capitalist. That's his role in society. 
he could have given it up, but that wouldn't have helped the cause anymore. So now, I, I would like to make uh, the case. It's irrelevant. Though, so no, hang on. It's also so, irrelevant. No, to but he's not exploiting socialism. the workers by this means, right? No, he is. He is he's still, he's still making a profit off of them. So he is exploiting the workers, but it was good. Just less. He was exploiting. No, 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 it was less bad. So <laughs> doing was, so was, doing less was, bad is good. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So what I'm going to invite you guys. And, and, you know, look, you, you care passionately about good in the world. And look, we're all here trying to help people. And I know we're no, slinging we, a lot we, of we mud. We care about progress and human emancipation, not about good and bad. Progress and human emancipation. Is progress and human, human emancipation, is that not good? So, it, it, it's, it, it allows the greatest freedom. You can and call is that the greatest good freedom want, not good? Not, Are else. you allergic to the word? Why can't you say the word good? I mean, is it not okay. good what you want? So the, the reason good. why is he's not doing a moralistic critique of political economy. He's, he's talking specifically materialist about like the actual physical relationships between people and food. Okay, and but industry. I get all of that. But isn't, yeah. that, isn't it better or preferable for there to be more freedom in the world? I mean, yes, absolutely. Yes. That's why I'm a communist. Okay, so what the hell are you twisting me around for? I say it's good and better. You're, oh, no, I don't want to say that. It's like, well, why not? Is, is, so are you allergic? Does we, your dark lord not allow you to say these words? Like, what are you talking about? I think you and we are, I, we're we running out of time. We, we do have just, a, just about a minute yeah. left. Can, so, I answer, can I answer Stefan's question, actually? Well, I'm, I'm just, let that. me just, uh, very I, briefly, and then if we can go just a little bit over. Honestly, I just need 30 seconds. So, guys, what I'm going to offer you, and whether you mm -hmm. take it or not, obviously, it's completely up to you. It's, it's still a relatively free society. I'm offering you a path to oppose state power that doesn't require you to compromise morality, but rather enact it. So, if you focus on the better treating, treatment of children, anti-spanking, anti-circumcision, anti-abuse, then you will be doing far more than anyone else to undermine the power of the state. Hierarchy comes from the family. The, the child is the father of the man, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Hierarchy comes from family. If the family is hierarchical and brutal, the society will be hierarchical and brutal. I'm inviting you to work with me in this area where you don't have to compromise your morality. You don't have to say, well, Jefferson raped people and blah, blah, blah. You don't have to, you can just say, I'm going to pursue the good without having to do bad or justify it or, or dodge around it. I'm going to focus on building a free society from the crib up, which is the only way it can be built. You don't have to make compromises. You don't have to kind of stutter around the edges of these morality issues. You don't have to have this Rakolnikov, should I club the pawnbroker to death? and you can have a very clean conscience when it comes to pursuing a better world. Okay, sorry, thanks. Okay, so the problem with that is that the state structure itself is self-replicating and it creates incentives that drive people. It functions a lot like uh, an AI, if you want to think of that, with regard to capitalism. It's one of the reasons why we could have very easily had as successful a response to COVID in the United States as Vietnam had. Uh, unfortunately, we have no ability because of capitalism and the state structure and the level of incentives that we had to actually respond meaningfully And what 600,000, is it now 800,000 people are dead as a direct result of that. Wait, Individual morality, in even if you had 100% of the people in the world behaving in a very, as you would consider it a virtuous manner raise it, it the, the state would still continue to replicate itself because again yes. this is a it's like a machine it is a web of human intelligence and a web of human relationships that uh that has been running our society since uh about six thousand years ago and the we cannot destroy it simply by wishing it away or being better people we have to actually destroy it. you have to actually break the machine
And how do now, you do that? And what, what are you talking about here? What are you talking about in terms of breaking this machine? Are you talking about violence? So yeah. So what you do is you uh, you co you collectively with workers and in a, in a party, you take over the means of production. You take over the how do you, you do that on the society? You literally take them. How do you you, do you take you call that, that through violence? violence? No, you, you don't have, actually. You don't have to use violence. The Russian Revolution was bloodless. The violence came after in the reaction by the czarist regime. Literally, look the, it up. The, the it German was, government was, funded Lenin with massive amounts of arms and sent him through German Finland to to take out Russia from the, the first world did war. Not, yeah. Okay, okay so, cool. Cool story. They, they didn't, they, there was no blood spilt in the actual taking of the Duma. Um, so it, a, a revolution if with a weak capitalist government does not need to be uh, uh, violent at all. The violence happens in the reaction by the ruling class. Wait, it so the violence, of the, the, violence of, of the Russian, the, the violence of the Soviet state was the bourgeois, it was the fault the of the bourgeois? Communist the communists took power in essentially Sorry? in a bloodless coup and the bourgeois attacked them yeah. afterwards. Well, I, like, I know about the, the war that came after that, but there was quite a lot of uh, violent taking mm -hmm. over of things by, by Lenin and there were concentration camps in the 1920s. I mean, this is not, uh, yet. Yeah, of course they were attacked. And from I outside. think, and no one's advocating this model. The, the point was that you can actually take power bloodlessly. Now I'm going to, answer this question in a good faith way, because this is actually a really good question. Um, and this is something that I wrestle with. Uh, I am a Nietzschean Buddhist, um, and very much I believe in karma, not in the way that most people imagine believing karma, but I don't believe that you can kill yourself your way to a better world, uh, in much the same way that I would not make the, the choice that Raskolnikov made to kill uh, the woman. And I think that's, you know, brilliant uh, book, um, Crime and Punishment. Um, how do we move forward um, and how do we get ourselves out of this problem that we have found ourselves in because of the actions of men long dead? Um, I think that there are a number of approaches to it. Partially, I think it involves raising consciousness. Uh, and I think it will need to be a change in consciousness away from an egotistical way of looking at the world. Um, this goes back to my, my Buddhist <laughs> principles. Um, you know, the, if you want, we're, you were talking about good and evil. And the way I think of good and evil is in the terms of fundamental darkness, which is the part of our brains, the aspect of consciousness that makes us think that we are just ourselves and only ourselves and that we ended our skin and nothing else. Um, it is this, uh, it is this mistake that causes us to think that we can gain at an, from another's uh, harm that we can gain while someone else takes uh, some, you know, while somebody else uh, takes the uh, takes the blame or whatever. Um, I think that moving forward, we need a reformation in how we relate other to our environment, and perhaps some of that can happen within the family. But we also need to simultaneously take action within material reality to destroy and dismantle these uh, sections of power. That will eventually mean a world revolution where we do away with military and police and nations and borders and everything. Now, will that happen bloodlessly? I hope so. My, I, I feel, uh, you know, in the history of our species, such things have not happened bloodlessly, but you know what? things change. They always do. And I think that that has to be the way forward. So I don't think we can go with a pure idealist approach. And I don't think we can go with a pure Machiavellian approach. I think we need to do both at once. 
Uh, and I'm very excited to see what happens in the future as we do work to throw off the shackles of the state and capitalism. Um, but we have to identify the real problem and attack it at the root. We cannot get sidetracked by blaming ethnicities or, or you know, other people, you know, who are ultimately exactly like us. They just look a little different and maybe talk differently. We, we, we cannot get there. And famously, um, anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools, essentially. And James, so James, are we in our concluding statements? Or? Yes. Okay. So just in conclusion, I'll say, here we have two communists who don't, they have a project for society. They think that a stateless society will converge toward what they want through persuasion. It just won't happen. Uh, that this uh, will society society that has already, uh, I'd like to, I, I'm just concluding here. Society has already converged naturally toward the state of capitalism because precisely people have the means without the state to defend property. They can defend it with threat. They can defend it with the potential for violence. In the same way, you defend your toothbrush. First, it's because not much people want your toothbrush. They don't want to share it with you. Second, it's because if your toothbrush is somehow valuable to you, you have a potential to defend it violently. This is the natural basis for property. And even in a stateless society, someone like Jeff Bezos would certainly have the means to protect his lands with private security forces without the intervention of this state. state. Would Brent would Brent simply start calling the property of Jeff Bezos in such a world personal property because he has the means to defend it? In no, the end, I'd call it, it a matter. state and hey, I'd it's destroy closing, it. It's closing statements, in guys. The end, in the end, all I'll say is ignore these guys. They think the world will converge one way. Either they're right and you won't do anything about it, or they're most likely wrong and communism will stray away from existence and will remain an ID in their head. You got it. Solitariat, any last words before you go into the Q&A section? Yeah, sure. I'll just make the, you know, the, the most obvious point that, you know, um, the things that Stefan and, and Jean-Francois are arguing for, you know, the, the markets and private property literally require the very thing they're against, which is, again, the state. Uh, you can't Oh, well, that's okay. I'm no, still, you're still here. there. Keep talking. I'm still here. Um, yeah, uh, you, you can't enforce uh, the NAP or private property rights or, or any of this stuff without armed bodies of men, which is what a state is. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. You got it. Everybody feel good about going to the Q&A. Do I get a closing statement? You got it. Go okay, I'll, I'll keep it brief. So you can't bludgeon your way to utopia. I think we can all accept that's been one of the horrible lessons, I mean, really, of, of everything from the Greeks to the Romans to the Ottomans to the bloody wars of the 20th century to, to Nietzsche's, Nietzschean will to power out of a Nazi Germany. And you, you simply cannot initiate the use of violence to create a utopia. If you want to create a better world, you begin by enacting the non-aggression principle in your own life, in your own society. That means peacefully parenting your children and also keeping people out of your life who resolutely, resolutely support the use of violence. Violence, the initiation of violence, always achieve, achieves the opposite of its stated goal. If you want a woman to love you and you kidnap her, she's going to end up hating you. If you're Hitler and you want to protect Germany and then you initiate national socialism, then you end up 
with Germany being destroyed from end to end and culturally destroyed in the end of time. If you want to create a classless egalitarian society through communist takeover of the Duma in Russia, then you end up with a far greater disparity of political power in your system than you ever had of economic power. And if the only way you can solve economic disparities, disparities in income, disparities in capital accumulation, if the only way you can solve that, and the only way that has been proposed by the left to solve that, is to create a massive powerful state that redistributes everything, then you're taking away, or you're trying to solve the problem of economic inequality with massive political inequality. Now, economic inequality, yeah, I think it's something to be closed. I think we want to teach kids how to be entrepreneurs. I think we want to teach them how to compete with the ruling classes. We need to reduce or eliminate the power of the state so it's a more even playing field. But if you're going to try and solve economic inequality with massive political disparities, in other words, the state controls the means of production and everybody else just get in line and go to the gulag, you've fucked up royally. You cannot solve economic inequality with massive political inequality. We have to get rid of this notion that we can bludgeon our way to a better world. And there are those, of course, out there in the world doing massive evils, and, and they tempt us into wishing to return evil to them. They've got the club, so we grab the club. But as you know, right, an eye for an eye simply leaves the whole world blind. We start with the family. We start with that which we can control, and we can grow a beautiful world after the, out of the peaceful raising of children. That's what science tells us, and there's no other way. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep mine. Um, short and pithy. Yeah, very short and pithy. So first of all, I would recommend that anyone who's looking for a model for a better society for that we can all live in really needs to look into, there are two documentaries you need to watch. The Take by Naomi Klein and uh, about the uh, uh, um, Argentinian uh, recovered factories movement, which was done bloodlessly, and um, Living Utopia which is free online. Uh, it is about the anarchists during the Spanish Civil War. And I would highly recommend you look into the history of the Zapatistas in Chiapas, uh, of the CNT Phi uh, in Spain, and especially um, of most recently, um, the YPG, PK, the PKK YPG in Rojava, uh, based on the philosophy of Mori Bookchin. Um, these new societies are not perfect. They have problems. Uh, but as we move forward as a species, I, I genuinely believe that uh, they will, uh, that this model has a lot to offer. I will also say that in order to take back the property from the moneyed classes, from the capitalists, you don't need a huge bloody revolution. You simply have to eliminate the state as an ability to, to control it. Once you get rid of the military and the police and private security and any other force of armed men, suddenly the property uh, goes and uh, defaults to exactly where it has always been traditionally in the 246,000 years of human history, which is possession and use and common, overwhelmingly common. Thank you. You got it. Thank you very much. And folks, want to let you know, we have so many questions that we will not be able to get to any new questions. So please don't submit any more questions. We do want to get our guests out of here at a decent hour. And also, gentlemen, if you can do a favor and try to, if you absolutely have to give a response to what somebody had said while answering their question, if you could do that as seldom as possible, just because everybody is really excited to get to hear your guys' responses to their question. They're really excited to hear that. And so, 
that way we'll be able to move fast. But I do want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description so you can hear plenty more in case you don't get to hear your question asked. Sorry to be Mr. annoying. Just, just one tiny suggestion. I, I would prefer it because we've had a lot of back and forth. Let's audience focus and just focus on answering the questions from the audience rather than shots at each other. I like I'm, I'm down to do that. Everybody okay with that? Let's do it. All right. So I wanted to attack Brent, but okay, I'll do <laughs> Thank it. Thank you for not aggressing. For non -aggressing. <laughs> this one coming in from Mr. Krabs, not quite related to communism, but if you guys are willing to humor it, they say to both sides, is it okay to be white? And if you can't say yes, then is it okay to be black? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's okay cool to be to every be ethnicity and we should learn to understand each other, understand our differences, live in peace and harmony. It is absolutely okay to be every ethnicity. Yeah. It's okay to be white is something that is superficially true, but advanced by primarily by fascists and white nationalists who use it as a uh, as a bad faith argument. <sighs> the fact is, is that race is used by the state to control all of us. Um, the whole reason like the whole reason the ethnicities are the way that we see them is specifically because it was convenient to the Victorians so that they could justify murdering and subjugating people all around the world. So in, in a sense, it is always okay to be yourself, uh, but also like take a look around and see how you are being manipulated. And one of the major reasons that you, and one of the major ways everyone is manipulated is through race. But race is not merely a point of yes, uh, manipulation by the state. Yes, no, it, because is. It, it is. It, 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 it absolutely is. Hold on. Wait, let me continue. I mean, it would take hours if we can't speak. Uh, race is a concept that has value for the individual, for who their daughters will date, for who they will interact with, for who they identify with. And so it has private, legitimate oh uses, and it is not mere manipulation <sighs> by the state. It only has that because anything the state. Right. I thought right. we we're going to focus on the listener. We're going to focus on the listener. Focus on the listener. You're right. Anything swole? We'll give you a chance. Uh, I love being white because it gives me privileges that uh, other people don't have. It's pretty cool. Uh, I will say though that I am half Irish and half Ukrainian, uh, and a hundred years ago I wouldn't be counted as white. So I mean, this is just to show you how stupid, stupid the the, the entire concept of whiteness is. But that's it. This one coming in from Not Trom says, would you prefer to live in a peaceful capitalist society where you cannot have children or a society based on violence where you do get to have children? I'm, I, I don't answer silly theoretical. Sorry, that's just not my yeah. thing. Yeah, dichotomy. Stupid question. <laughs> I, I will actually answer it. And I'd say I would have children because I think that um, ultimately, uh, I think the negative aspects of life uh, can, uh, you can't have the good without the bad. So I would prefer that life continue than to uh, live in a paradise where life does not continue. You got it. Want to warn folks, if you happen to submit a so-called question, but it's really just insulting one of the speakers, I'm not <laughs> going to read it. Coding Jesus says, Unless it's funny. When you reward people for having needs, you encourage the having of needs instead of the creation of value. Capitalism, oh my God, I meant to do- Hold on, they, they said you. capitalism rewards serving others. Okay, no, it doesn't. It only sometimes rewards serving others. Um, so first off, um, 
this is really weird to hear from capitalists that like needs are infinite needs are infinite but not the same need is not infinite we know this because of marginal utility so like the the paradox of water versus diamonds you will as you get one more uh, or even better slices of pizza the first slice you have great second slice wonderful third slice uh getting a little full sixth slice oh my god why am i doing this to myself um so it's not about that society will be this, this infinite belly that constantly wants everything all the time. It's that needs and desires can be guided in socially beneficial directions. And, and that would be what a sane economic system would do. The problem of marginal utility is that it's focused on people, on single individuals, but that at the, bi at the biological level, someone who has needs will eventually have many more copies of themselves in the world through babies, and they will have more needs. So marginal utility doesn't apply to groups of people that can multiply exponentially. No, it still would apply because those same individual. It people would apply would to the individuals, not to, to the group. One. Yeah. Okay. Do, that is the weirdest. This one, one coming in from Joshua Larson says, "Swole is." Let's see. Oops, not exactly what I'm looking for. This one coming in from. Well, at least it's a compliment. A long story short, says Jeff and Stefan, mega power of philosophy, like when Hulk Hogan teamed up with macho man randy savage very nice very kind ergo ergoth says communists are not against capitalism they just want to climb the ladder through social shaming and moral signaling rather than meritocracy manipulate your value by accusing the competition of being morally bankrupt well, sorry, let me, let me just answer that answer because that? i didn't get Can to I answer, answer the last one let me just real yeah, briefly yeah, on that go. so i was you know uh, i would never have dreamed in my life of looking up uh, Swole or, or Brenton's history and, and finding out, oh my gosh, someone said something bad about them or someone made up something bad about them or they did something that was unacceptable or out of the bounds of polite society. You know, like, I never would have imagined doing that. Now, you guys, of course, did that with me. You did that with JF. I would just sort of say I would just sort of say that when it comes to intellectual debates, it's kind of lazy, you know, just looking up, ooh, someone said something bad, ooh, there seems to be something negative that I can interpret. I mean, rather it's than not actually no, that. and the reason, the reason the reason the reason being let me finish. Still talking. Still talking. Still talking. So and the reason that I would do that, and I wrote this whole book called Art of the Argument, you can get it at artoftheargument.com, is that you can't verify these things. I've rebutted all of this nonsense that's said about me six million different ways from Sunday, and I rebutted it even here, and you accused me of things that weren't true. So the reason I wouldn't do that is I like to think on my feet. I like to really work with the information that's coming to me and deal with people with as much respect as I can give to them in the moment rather than trying to pick something from the past, which seems kind of intellectually lazy, finding people who said mean things or bad things. And I just, as a whole, I think that we can't really, and it started off in a really bad way because of that, because, it, you know, it's annoying and it's, it's lazy and, and boring and, and, you know, just low rent, right? It's just trashy, right? It, it's, it's, um, it's like listening to two boxers trash talk each other or two wrestlers trash talk each other. I think that we really, this is my suggestion for the next time, just, just come in and deal with the person's facts, reasons, evidence, and argument rather than just immediately starting with the ad homs and the trashing. It's just, 
it's, you know, we got to try and find a way to elevate debate in society. And, and this this didn't do it. Abe Labrick now. Yeah. Can, can I answer ne that? Never, uh, never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. They know that their remarks are frivolous and open to challenge, but they are amusing themselves. For it is their adversary who is obliged to use words responsibly, since he believes in words. The anti-Semites have the right to play. They even like to play with discourse. What are we talking about? Can I answer this? What are we anti-Semites for? You just exactly. Did. Well, you just J exactly did what, what you shouldn't do. JF? Ah, no, well, it's copy pasta. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah, Brent, no, 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 no. Jean-Paul Sartre. I had, I, I, can you, you reread? I think can it's re fair to want to debate communism. And so uh, unless it has to do with communism, Swole, I, I do want to move to the next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, audience... no, no, no. I want to, an I want to answer the, the audience question. Can you reread okay. it for me? You got it. They had said... Ergoth says, communists are not against capitalism. They just want to climb the ladder through social shaming and moral signaling rather than meritocracy. Manipulate your value by accusing the competition of being morally bankrupt. Okay, so yeah, I just, I just wanted to say that that's funny because a capitalism, by definition, uh, prevents meritocracy because it, 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 you end up with classes that, that make that impossible, and which creates uh, incentives and influences that makes it and, and uh, corruption that make it so meritocracy, true meritocracy, isn't possible. There's always a degree of meritocracy. If you want meritocracy, and I do, you want communism, so get on board. Uh, the other point is. Uh, we're not, I don't think capitalism is evil. Uh, I think capitalism is absolutely progressive, a progressive force over uh, feudalism. I'm so glad we're in capitalism now, and I'm so glad I live in liberal democracy in Canada, uh, but I want uh, to complete the, uh, you know, the ideals of the bourgeois revolution, liberty, uh, eternity, uh, fraternity, and equality. You know, this one coming in from Mr. Crab says, never forget the 7 to 11 million Christian Ukrainians murdered by communists in the USSR. Right. Very, very important. Uh, there are, it's the Holodomor is one of the very under reported on under discussed uh, genocides uh, in in history and i think it's absolutely tragic and i think it shows the control that leftists and communists have over the educational system that you you don't hear much about it at all and and then when we did come, come up here i think it was brenton just said oh there were some ba bad apples in the mix and that's that's why it happened and stalin was just no an idiot. no i said the famines specifically now holodomor involved aspects of famines um and there is some historical disagreement over whether that was an intentional genocide or an accident i think it was monstrous one way or the other uh, but that you you can't lay that purely at the feet of lysenko just yeah. uh, the famines themselves were Lysenko's fault. I am Ukrainian, and um, I'm willing to admit it wasn't an intentional genocide. What he was doing was uh, not giving a fuck by uh, about the you know Ukrainians, but also the uh, I think Kazakhstan had more deaths than than uh, Ukraine, uh, and also uh, so Russia had lots of deaths. Almost all countries in that part of the world had millions and millions of people die but more Kazakhs die and yet and yet the the right in Ukraine drummed up this this narrative of a, a intentional genocide that's fake news okay uh, Stalin was a piece of shit and uh, and made the thing the whole the, the famine worse the drought worse but uh, it, it was not uh, something like trying to kill Ukrainians as a race that's ridiculous I would say if people well, want to look I mean, into Ukrainian history I would look into the Black Army uh, under Nestor Makhno um, they were phenomenal and while the Reds and the Whites fought over to conquer the country they battled to free it and actually are 
Nestor Machen was the reason why, uh, largely the reason why the Reds won the war ultimately and then was chased out of the country and um, a lot of his uh, lieutenants were murdered. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a beautiful part of history. And uh, also, coincidentally, Nestor Machno will appear in issue two of Trudy. <laughs> this one coming in from Snake Was Right says, Brent, what about the Chinese communist famines that necessitated reprivatization of farms? Lysenko. Lysenkoism? Yes, Lysenko. The Chinese believed the, 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 the propaganda that were put out by the USSR. That's why they ate up their food stores for years, like in just a couple of months. That's why they did the thing where they killed all the sparrows. They thought they were going to have this giant uh, explosion of food, and they were looking to look into the future and to protect it, but they'd been lied to. Does it not trouble you that you have a system where one person makes a mistake and 20 or 30 or 40 million people start I mean, to yes, but that's not my system. That definitely <laughs> oh, does trouble me. System, I don't right. think okay. we should do the ussr's political structure okay poofy says hi stefan i have you read thomas Sowell's conclusions about culture's effects on iq and do you agree or disagree with them and why do you take your stance on them well again it's not my stance uh, i have 17 experts from the left and from the right talking about iq differences between ethnicities and races and this is a fact i mean it's going to have some effect on outcomes i would love to have a world where, and I, I've talked to black people, Hispanic people on my show, helped them with issues, helped them uh, fix their marriages and fix their parenting, and it's a wonderful thing to do in the realm of philosophy. It would be wonderful if we could close these gaps. Uh, nobody has found a way to do it. Nobody has found a way uh, to do it. Now, Tom Sowell has arguments uh, which uh, runs, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, he's a fantastic writer, just read him on anything you can get a hold of. Also, by the way, former Marxist. Former Switched Marxist, sides right. when he saw which way the wind was blowing, uses literal Stalinist tanky arguments, just inverts them. Okay, so you're just insulting him rather than making an argument, because I guess no, that's No, I'm kinda, pointing out. No, you like, are insulting you, him. Must, yeah, own own, own your shit, man. You're a Buddhist. <laughs> own your shit. You're insulting it's him. It's an important thing to know. No, you're not is, making is any you're arguments. Right. You're not rebutting any of his data. You're not rebutting any of his facts. You're just insulting the poor man. Like, just uh, grow again, up and I'm learn how to debate like an actual fucking adult. Argumentation style. Just learn how to debate like an adult. Rebut <laughs> facts and arguments, not with just petty, yeah. stupid, great okay. school insults. Okay. So, hang on. So, let, let me get back to, there, there to Dr. Dr. Souls. Regarding Thomas Sowell. Yeah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to argue it. He just interrupted. That's fine. Okay. So, Dr. Sowell makes the case. He says, look... There are IQ differences between blacks and mixed bloods and whites and so on. He says, look, if you were a slave owner and you raped, because you can't have consensual sex with a slave, it's always rape, right? So you rape one of your a black slaves, you're a white slave owner, then you're going to end up with, you know, a mulatto, half white, half black kid. Now, because he's half yours, you're going to put a lot more effort into educating him. You're going to try and teach him to read and you're going to try and raise him up. And so he's got lots of really good arguments. And his perspective is that there's much more environmental factors with regards to differences in IQ. I think that's a wonderful argument. I would love to explore that. But again, people have for the last 100 years, actually more than 100 years, for the past couple of 100 years, have been trying to find a way to close this gap. The whole um, a Head Start program, $100 billion spent, of course, by the state, which we would assume is pretty much disastrous, did close the black-white gap for a couple of years, and then it generally tended to spread out again. Reasons for that? Again, nobody knows if it's genetic or environmental. My guess is some combination of the two, but I'm not a geneticist. I don't know. But wherever it is, we don't know at the moment how to change it. Now, I think 
peaceful parenting, more cohesive and, and positive family structures, which you can't achieve under the welfare state, would do wonders for the black family, just as it did for the black family during its time of greatest progress from the 1920s into the 1960s. Uh, blacks were coming into the middle class enormously quickly. Black families were solid. Uh, the black middle class was, was growing and, and, and widely increasing. Wonderful. That's exactly what we want in society. How far that could have gone, I would love to have seen. I would love to. Who, who wouldn't want I I this kind of equality? It would be a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to have in society. Uh, that progress was entirely eviscerated by the state program of the welfare state, as was predicted by Moynihan and sadly has, has come to pass. So I th you should, everyone should read as much as possible on this issue. You should read the people who are environmental. You should read, although it's distasteful, I understand, and I feel that distaste as well. You should read the people who make the genetics argument, and you should just try and understand this issue. Dr. Sowell has wonderful arguments. They're quite convincing, and I would absolutely be overjoyed if he was right. This one coming in from Mr. Crab says, Brent, if you go from New York to Kentucky and use the emergency room without insurance, how is that not welfare? I mean, so first off, the anybody can use the emergency room without insurance anywhere, and medical bills are largely a giant scam anyway. So no, that, that wouldn't be welfare. Like, if I use the emergency room in New York without insurance, be exactly the same. So that doesn't make any sense. I mean, the idea is, do we help people who are dying if they can't afford it? Yes, obviously we do because a, a life, a single human life is worth more than all the money in the world. Because again, money isn't real. It's, it's this, just a measure of wealth. This like one inches. Is. Well, from welfare, well, go for it. Says communism works in a society or tribe of about a hundred people laugh out loud. I mean, that's ridiculous because we've seen it function like on the national and regional level. We've got the CNT5 uh, in uh, Spain who stopped the fascist war machine dead in its tracks and collectivized the entire city of Barcelona and the surrounding Argonne Front for, for, for like three years. We also have, you know, the PKK YPG, which were the single best fighters against ISIS. Uh, in, in Kurdistan and Syria. Uh, and we also have the Zapatistas who've been doing their thing in Shaipas, you know, since the 90s. So, uh, and all of these societies are far bigger than 100 people. You're just ignorant. There's imagine if in. conservatives actually read history. Imagine. <laughs> Contrarian420 says for both sides, starting with JF and Stefan, thoughts on, in, on the increasing economic and political power of pharmaceutical corporations? Mm. Well, it's a problem, uh, and it's especially a problem in which we have states that are interacting with corporations. The state comes in and screws the free market. If it was just corporations selling things at the price that they want and benefiting from it, that wouldn't be a big problem. But when you get their agents from the corporations acting into the state and giving a, a veneer of legitimacy uh, to vaccines, to certain medications, and they essentially are agents of the corporation, but they claim to be agents for public good, that is a very bad mix to have. Yeah, I, I'm um, not a fan. Uh, I like... In a, in a sort of free society, the way that you would make money as a healthcare provider is if people got stayed healthy. You know, in, in, there was a great system in China in the Middle Ages where you paid your doctor every month until you got sick, and then you do stopped paying him until you got better. So he had an incentive to keep you healthy, 
and, and people should be paid for your health. They should not be paid for your sickness. Socialist medicine makes money off people being sick. It does not make money off people being healthy. A free market, a voluntary system would, of course, you would want everyone to make money when you're healthy and lose money when you're sick, but that doesn't work into the existing, all of the incentives are completely backwards. And when the incentives are backwards, there'll be a few people still doing the right thing, but for the most part, people just kind of give in and, and go with the flow, and it's really terrible. The average doctor in, in Canada listens to patients for 18 seconds before prescribing something. 18 seconds! And if you have complicated medical issues, people may not want to see you. We've got waiting lists two years to two and a half years. I once needed to see a specialist, and I was told I'd have to wait for 16 months, in which case, hey, I'm better or I'm dead. So we do have a pretty bad uh, system, a, a free system. This kind of systems that evolve spontaneously in a free society are systems where they only make money when you're healthy and then are obligated to treat you through contracts when you're uh, unwell. I think that would be a wonderful way to move forward. Uh, right now, it's it's entirely backwards. And you know, I had um, just very briefly, I had a guy. Um, I was just talking about this with my daughter today. Um, uh, Mad in America, a, a fantastic book, Robert Whitaker, and he's pointing out. He said, "Look, when we got antibiotics, the number of infections went down. You know, when we had vaccines, uh, the number of those illnesses went down. Now we have these psychotropics, and the incidence of mental illness are going through the roof. It seems we're entirely backwards, and we've become this pharmaceutical-dependent, hobbled society where people won't eat well and exercise. They just stuff themselves full of drugs that their grandchildren are going to have to pay for with their liberties. And it's just absolutely wretched. And I think we're—I'm uh, sure we're all on the same page that we don't like the existing system. I just hope that we can get to a peaceful one down the road. What Stefan yeah. just said about uh, Canadian doctors is a, is a lie. The 18 seconds refers to uh, the time before a doctor interrupts a patient, which is still bad, but that's all because of capitalist incentives, not communists. We don't live in a communist society. Wait, the socialist um, healthcare if, system if, run if we, by the government is a capitalist it's system? It's literally not socialist. It's literally capitalism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, co uh, however, socialism in, is in, worker in Cuba, the means of production. In Cuba, we they have lots of doctors, and in fact, they get much better care much better uh, time with their with their patients. And even the same thing can be said actually for uh, 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 Venezuela, at least uh, back in the, in the late 2000s before uh, they ruined their own economy there. Yeah, um, I'll say that big pharma is horrifying and um, incentives for profit to be tied to healthcare is one of the worst things that you can possibly do because everybody gets sick. So you essentially have a captive audience and it will only, you have a captive uh, consumer base and it will only get worse uh, as society continues. Um, that said, and I'm gonna put, put this out. Um, so like I'm from Manhattan and I'm gonna tell you right off the bat, um, get vaccinated because I have seen what this, what freaking COVID can do. It just killed um, my wife's cousin. I watched um, two, my, my friend, both of her parents died uh, of COVID within a week at the very beginning of this thing. I'm talking like runny nose at the beginning, uh, you know, in the hospital by Wednesday, on the respirator by Friday, dad's dead by Saturday, mom's dead by Monday, and now she's an orphan. She's not much, I'm not, I'm not very old, and she's not much older than me, and her parents were healthy. So I'm certainly, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm incredibly angry. I'm incredibly angry at communist China for facilitating the spread of this disease into the world by not informing people as they were bound to do by, by the most solemn treaties in the world, 
by informing people of a potential pandemic, by disappearing doctors who criticized, by downplaying human-to-human -human transmission. They facilitated the spread of this by closing down internal travel while still encouraging people to travel overseas. They spread this damn thing across the world, and that's just another body count for communism. You mean literally capitalism? Capitalism, yeah. We do have to jump. <laughs> Everything I don't like China. is capitalism. Strikes again saying, commies, who decided, who decides who owns what in any stateless society? I mean, what can you hold and control just by yourself? That's what you own. And when you stop holding and controlling and using it, then somebody else can come by and take it. That's how anarchists have always defined property rights. It is based upon possession and use. You've heard possession is nine-tenths of the law. Where we start to get tetchy is when you try to own and control something you neither use nor possess and instead use state violence to enforce that uh, ownership re uh, relationship. So yeah, this, this, this is a pretty silly question. Um, like, yeah, personal property is yours. It's, it's factories. It's, uh, it's big government uh, institutions or, 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 or the, the socialist versions of those. It's small farms that you get to, uh, uh, small farms you get to run yourself. Big farms are, are nationalized um, or, mm -hmm. yeah, for the production of everybody. But uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's not complicated. Wait, nationalized? What do you mean? Like the nationalized in a stateless society. How do you nationalize something in a stateless society? Sorry, I, I, I misspoke. Okay, no, no, I'm not trying to get you. I just Ex generally confused. Yeah, he, he meant to say expropriated. And, okay. and run democratically by the workers. Got it. This one coming in from Taylor H says, Brent, will you please directly address JF's argument about infinite needs? I did. So let's keep going. This one coming in from... Appreciate your question. Poofy says, Brent, please explain, quote, money isn't real. Given that you say that, is personal property tradable or is it also not real? I mean, personal property is in the physical things that you have, your computer, your, your food. That's real. That's wealth, if you want to think of it like that. Money is not wealth. Money is a measure of wealth. It has the same kind of reality as language. It, it's like inches, uh, you know. So it is a system that we use to try to manage how we distribute goods. It has some good qualities towards it, but it also has a lot of really, really bad qualities. And I would like to see as we move into the future where we um, go with, and this, you know, ironically, JF kind of mentioned this when he said you can't use uh, the will of the mob or mobs to, uh, intelligence, uh, look up swarm technology. Um, we have actually seen, this technology has been around since the 1930s. It's getting even more and it's a way of, uh, integrating individual inputs in such a way that the swarm becomes smarter than the sum of its parts. And it's actually outperformed both experts and markets uh, and was able to successfully predict the winner of the Kentucky Derby uh, multiple years running, if I'm not mistaken, and not, not just the winner, but like the trifecta. So it's outperformed both central planning and markets. And I really think uh, if we can make it work politically, swarm technology is the way of the future on how we can uh, uh, distribute goods and services within the society. The entirety of human society is a swarm and it's a swarm that makes babies. And you have to be careful. Uh, there is a different type about. of evolutionary relationships that applies to groups that make babies than swarms that are coordinated through some sort of technological internet communication. 
no, coming in from okay so it's like with bees with like a swarm of bees and bees make babies the swarm is more intelligent than any individual bee no individual bee can even conceive of proper hive placement but together they actually wind up finding the hives this is it's a way funny to that, seize it's funny this that you mentioned bees yeah because bees are actually the, the relationship between all of the bees of a colony between each other mm -hmm. are the same as between the cells in our body so a I bee mean, colony is actually that, yeah. one individual biologically because it has only one queen that will carry their genes. This I mean, I don't from... see where you're going from that. But the point is on. we can capture, must... like we can wear like a on. suit of bear fur to be warm. We can I capture this. this power that bees Rent. have through swarm technology. Rum Runner says, I know a guy who became rich because he bought a bunch of Bitcoin in 2013 and he sold it last year. What exactly did he or who exactly did he exploit to become rich? Uh, well, Nobody. for one, he exploited the planet because Bitcoin is terrible for the environment and he exploited future generations because he contributed to global warming. Um, as far as like actual Bitcoin mining, he got lucky. He found a loophole in the system for a while, speculated and made some made some money. But again, money isn't wealth. And what, if I were that guy, what I would do is I would take that money immediately and exchange it for something real, actual property actual productive things that he needs within his life don't hang on to it because again it, it's it's nothing on the plus side brenton's uh, comic has zero carbon footprint so that's totally different i mean and it's got as low a carbon footprint as i yeah, can no, i understand do. so everybody no everything you don't like is bad for the environment but your stuff is is fine no bitcoin is uniquely bad for the environment absolutely like, it not takes up no more energy no no if you're hey you want to go bitcoin with me man i've been doing this since 2010 let's do bitcoin <laughs> Yeah, let's fucking do Bitcoin, man. Okay. We'll do a debate Bitcoin, on Bitcoin later. No, I'll, I'll keep this brief. So Bitcoin <laughs> is the most fantastic thing for the environment because fiat currency promotes the absolute raping and pillaging of Mother Nature through massive debt, okay, wars. Okay, that's whataboutism. You're just doing whataboutism. I'm sorry, can I what make my argument? Can I make my argument? Thank you. So what we want to do is we want to limit human consumption and not turn it into a cancer or a tumor where we just grab and consume everything at will. So Bitcoin will massively limit excess human consumption in a way that fiat currency can never do. Bitcoin also will end war because wars are funded through fiat currency. Bitcoin will end injustice, enslavement, because it will match the limited nature of our material resources. So Bitcoin, as you know, is limited to 21 million. Nature is limited. We can do a lot with it, but it still eventually is a finite situation. So moving from, so a fiat, moving, moving from a fiat currency system where you can create value out of thin air and thus allow people to go into massive debt or hyperinflation, allowing, allowing governments to print money and, and like – Debt is simply deferred consumption. You simply, when you go, when you borrow a thousand dollars and you buy a computer, you're just deferring not buying a computer down the road or not buying something else when you pay that money back. Bitcoin does not allow for the intergenerational pillaging of the unborn, surely the worst exploitation in the history of the world. And so Bitcoin, by pushing back against the state and its capacity to buy allegiance by printing money, is going to be the biggest thing to limit our consumption, to limit and end war, except an extremity of defense. It is the greatest thing 
for anti-statism is the greatest thing to actually protect Mother Earth. And I came out of the environmental industry. I spent an, uh, 15 years as an environmental entrepreneur. So I know to some degree whereof I speak. This is the most incredible technology to protect us from the pillaging of resources and our liberties through the infinite creation of imaginary money. There's the a question for you, Brenton. There's we have a question in the first one, place is this, currency. We, we just till we don't go too too deep on this yeah, one. Okay. This question's for you, Brenton. They say, mm -hmm. how do you justify taking the surplus value of the labor of your contractors? I don't take the surplus value of the labor of my contractors. Again, like a surplus value labor situation is when you have an employee who's paid hourly for your wages. Like that's what happens with, because, like for instance, I worked as a manager in the past. And at my job, people were paid minimum wage, and I had orders to fire anyone who wasn't generating at least $40 an hour per hour they worked. Now, that is taking surplus value because that individual is generating significantly more than what they, than what they are paid back. Now, we can find a more equitable way of doing that because there is, you know, um, people in management do things. That's a thing. I'm not going to say that all management is bad. I'm not even going to say necessarily that all ownership are all in bad. But what I, what I am saying is, is that what we need to have is we need to have employment contracts um, where they are negotiated from an even playing field where each party, when they negotiate, stands to gain and lose roughly the same amount. And when I'm dealing with a contractor, that's what's happening. I, I don't have uh, a coercive controlling share over the people who choose to work with me and I choose to work with. So it, 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 the uh, specific like labor theory of value exploitation doesn't actually apply to my business model. You got it. And the legend Riv says communism can't work. Look at how the political bureau failed the Russian economy. Central planning has a knowledge problem because of our individual liberty. Oh, that's such bullshit. Um, okay, so first off, if you want to say that like the Politburo, like their central planning didn't work, I'm sorry, you're just wrong. Like they had their problems, but Russia went from a limping pre-industrial power to a uh, superpower, able to go toe to toe with the United States after smashing the Nazi war machine in a matter of decades. Now, the human cost to that was horrifying and I would not recommend that anyone do that for any reason. But what I am saying is, is that they are very, very good at coordinating and especially functioning uh, in like more primitive societies that have, uh, primitive, I don't mean it like that, that have uh, been um, historically exploited by Western capitalist interests. And the, the, you I, just have to look at like- Sorry, I thought China you said that Vietnam. Marx said communism was not applicable to more primitive societies. Marx said that, and the USSR tried to still. So Marx is do wrong that. about that. Um, I would say he was kind of right on that, in that they haven't been able to reach communism yet. I think you need to move through those uh, veritable stages of history. But also, I'm an anarchist, so I'm kind. My idea of socialism and communism is more rooted in peasant traditions, anyway. So I, I would say he was probably wrong with that. So, and just for those of you who don't know, I'll keep this very brief. Uh, this is a Misasian argument that comes out of the 1920s, and it was considered to be a nail in the coffin for central planning, which was mm -hmm. that without the information of price, there's no way to efficiently allocate resources. So if so you have a, this? just a moment, <laughs> so weird. So Sorry, if you, I've heard this so many times. <laughs> well, I'm not talking to you, man. I'm talking to I the know, guy who asked the asked. fucking question, okay? Just try, it's not all about you, okay? <laughs> 
So if, if you've got a ton of steel, where do you allocate that? Well, in the free market system, you allocate it to the person who's willing to bid the highest, who believes he can get the most value out of it. Now, again, object, value is not objective, it's subjective, so it's all a matter of perception. Without the signal of price, there's simply no way to allocate things efficiently. So what happens is, instead of going to the highest bidder, it goes to the most politically connected or the guy who's got the most blackmail material on the central commissioner and so on. And to my knowledge, I haven't studied this in a while, but to my knowledge, there's no way to replicate the spontaneous decisions of hundreds of millions of people or billions of people around the world, which manifests itself in price. There's no way to replicate that pull signal from price by some push signal, which is based on politics. You go to this, this one is, coming this is, in? This is very easy to answer. Literally democratic production, right? You don't need a state even. You just need to democratically uh, ask. You know, you get delegates for each community, for each city, and you vote on what needs to be done, right? If if all of a sudden you find out, oh, we didn't get enough bananas this uh, this quarter. Okay, you fix it the next quarter by adding more bananas. It's it's. I can't believe how. I can't. Well, I can't yeah, believe the, the level take. of the level of vanity of you guys is true. Like everyone's an idiot except you. It's so easy to answer. It's so true. stupid. Very true. Yeah, it's just so blindingly obvious. Oh, no, People who've they studied this for decades are just like the right. vanity is truly astounding. Mm -hmm. I think you're just saying that because I said vanity at the beginning. How, oh shit! How storm. So we will jump into the next question. We only have a couple left here. This one coming in from Eric Eric Olafson says the Holodomor was not intentionally having people starve, and thus it wouldn't be murder. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, and that. this idea that we can read the minds of the people and, and, oh, did they want genocide? Was it an accident? Was it political? Was it punishment for the Ukraine's resistance to collectivization? How about we have a system where we don't have to try and mind read a century back to people long dust? How about we just have a system where people are, are free and own their own stuff and, and, and aren't Agreed. subject to these whims of these individuals? This one coming Agreed. in from, do appreciate your question. McKay says, one argument against communism is that governments can't decide what we need to produce. Could AI solve this in the future, possibly? If so, wouldn't that be a decent society to live in? No, it can't. We already the problem... answered this, and yes. Oh. Go ahead, y'all. Oh, I was just about to say, the problem is to leave into the decision of something that doesn't pay the price of a bad decision. And whether it's a group of people, a mob, or an AI, if you have things that make decisions for other people, they are not incentivized to do the right decision. That's why the free market and free engagement with society is the only alignment of choices that punishes the right people. If you want to go skydiving, you go skydive, but then you take the risk of dying. If you want to eat McDonald's, you eat McDonald's, but then you take the risk of getting fat. The only proper alignment of society is when each decision that is made, ultimately is made by the individual who will pay the price for it. Ima imagine basing your society around who to punish. That's all I got to say. Who to reward also. Same thing. You got it. And that's it for our questions. We do want... Wait, well, there's one more. Sorry. The, the Legend of Riv says... Since 1862, America has had over 40 federal regulations that have destroyed capitalism. That's one of the main causes to our record high trade deficit. Inflation follows. 
which is a factor of communism? Uh, regulations are uh, a, a necessary evil of, uh, of capitalism. You, you can't have a capital society run correctly or run uh, efficiently enough without them. If you, if you have no regulations, you end up with Miami and you have buildings collapsing. Uh, you end up with uh, you know, Afghanistan and buildings collapsing um, or, or, or the barrios in, in uh, Brazil. Yeah, same with the welfare state, right? These things are these are these are just th things you have to have in capitalism. Uh, there's no there's no formula that's going to be successful either way. Well, no matter what you do, it's going to well, be well. No, there is. Sorry, and so what? No, what yeah. So what has happened? And this this comes out of the banking industry originally. So the bankers would lend out multiples of their deposits uh, and leverage lending. And then sometimes they would bet wrong. And in the past, when the bank went bankrupt, they would be able to take the houses of all the bank executives and, and they would end up living under a bridge, which to me is just if you waste people's money or you should have consequences for your own bad decisions. So bankers didn't really like that. So they pressured governments and governments were happy to comply in return for donations. They created a corporation, which we sort of mentioned earlier. So now if you screw up as a business owner, your personal assets are shielded from uh, all liability. And so because people have this fictional fascistic corporate shield uh, created by the government's not part of the free market at all. Like, I mean, if you wanted to put your money into a bank, would you rather put your money into a bank where the guy would lose his home if he screwed up or where a guy would keep all of his three homes if he screwed up? You'd want to be in the guy who, who was more liable. So um, corporations were created to allow massive pillaging without risk from the uh, aristocracy, from the 1%, the, the bourgeois, I think you guys referred to them. So, so now you need, you need regulation because people aren't personally liable for the bad decisions, the, the corruptions, the messes, the, the shortchanging, the bad things that they do. If we simply allowed the restoration as it, as it would be in a free market of personal liability for um, collect decisions that you make as a business owner, we wouldn't need regulation because people would be regulated not by regulatory agencies they could basically just buy out and the revolving door of regulatory capture is well known. They'd lose their home. They, they might go to prison and that doesn't happen. Like, as you know, not one person went to prison for the 0708 financial crash except in Iceland. Nothing, it, it bothered, so everybody got away with it and you can't expect people to do better if they keep getting away with stuff. Point of information, um, corporations have nothing to do with fascism. When Mussolini said that fascism ought to be called corporatism, he wasn't talking about corporations. He was talking about corporatism as in of the body. It had a lot to do with like the philosophy of Thomas Hobbes um, and not at all to do with what we call it, like corporatism or, or corporatocracy usually uh, mean when they try to talk about well, the union of large fascism. business and state power. I didn't mention Mussolini. I mean, let's just yeah, try and deal with what I'm talking about. But that's that, that's not what fascism is. <laughs> it's not the union of large businesses and state power. That's part of it. But like again, fascist corporatism is a very specific thing. Okay. And that's not to harp on you. A lot of people get that wrong, Stephen. It's just it's it's a pet peeve. Well, of mine. you just got my name wrong, but that's all right. Okay. And and again, the uh, arrogance Stephen, that sorry. I've just got it wrong, and and you're just like you. you if well, you've got to look no, something you, you, like in the Wikipedia of facts, you most things wrong. <laughs> okay. We are going to want to say, folks, our guests are linked in the description. That includes at the podcast. So if you're listening to this via podcast, if you look in the description box, you will find our guest links. We really do appreciate them. So I want to say, Stefan, JF, Brent, and Swolotariat, it has been a true pleasure to have you on with us tonight. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank I you. really appreciate it. And thank you to all the Absolutely. listeners. It was a great pleasure to be able to present information to you. And I thank everyone for the great questions. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and Stephen, I will say, uh, Stefan, 
I w- sorry, Stefan, I-, I will send you those eggs if you give me a P.O. box. I, I don't want your eggs. Um, I just want That's you to grow up good. and start debating <laughs> like an adult. All right. Thanks, guys. Sorry, sorry about my microphone, everybody.